Hey, this is Jim, and welcome back to another episode of what I've been calling Prosaic Mosaic. Ah, so for all you new people here, first-time listeners, might be wondering what in blazes this is. I will tell you. Uh, you know how if you go, like, see somebody, like, do a public lecture? Um, like, I went to see Malcolm Gladwell speak maybe 10 years ago. And there's always, like, a Q&A session at the very end. And, you know, people get up in front of the microphones and ask questions. And there's always, like, at least one person that, like, has three or four minutes of shit that they need to say. Like, to, they, to set up the question. But they're really not setting up the question. They just they just want to rant about something for three or four minutes with a captive audience. You know? Um, I'm not that guy. You know? Uh, I, don't, I don't do that. You know, I'm like, okay, everybody here paid to see Malcolm and we're going to listen to him speak. You know, that doesn't mean I don't have stuff to say, you know, I do. Uh, so this is the forum for that. You know, this is where I start rambling about stuff that I would ramble about if I was an inconsiderate prick, uh, going up and, you know, asking people like Malcolm Gladwell questions at public places. So this is where I just, I turn this thing on every now and then and, record myself talking and put it out there on the off chance that somebody might listen to it and get some sort of value out of it. And I've been doing this since a couple months into COVID. When the shelter in place hit, it was, um, I always say this, it was like I was living in San Francisco, like very, very urban area, like right across from the baseball stadium, like Oracle Park. So there's not very many places to go. I was in a small one bedroom. I didn't have much to do. I had just like left my job like a couple weeks before coronavirus hit. And so it was like, okay, I had a whole bunch of time on my hands and I needed to do something to keep myself from going crazy. This is it. This is what I did. I've been doing it for long enough now. It's been like almost two years. I keep saying like, please excuse the sound quality. It kind of sucks because this is just like the voicemail app on the iPhone and the AirPods. and It's nothing fancy. You know, I feel like I've been doing it long enough now. I'll probably continue to keep doing it that I probably should start getting a little bit fancier, like actually get some nice recording equipment, but eh, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, how's, how you doing out there? How's, how's life with Omicron going on? That's, that's part of the reason I'm, I'm back here again is because we have another variant and there's another wave. And, uh, I don't know. I've definitely got something. I think I'm sick with something. I realized I got home today after spending, uh, the day driving around Denver. And I got home and I was like, yeah, there's definitely something, you know, upper respiratory going on with me. Maybe it's Omicron. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, uh, who knows? So I'm kind of like uh, on self-imposed lockdown now. I think I might, I think I might do that anyway. Uh, yeah. Anyway, how was, what did I do today? Denver. Yeah. So I live in, <clears throat> I live in Boulder. And I have, I've been here for about six months. I've got six months left to go. You know, I'm just like taking off, like, like in a prison cell, you're just like marking the days, like how much longer do I, do I have here? Uh, I, I love Boulder. Boulder's a beautiful city, but I've definitely come to the conclusion that when six months is up from now, I will be, I'll be ready to move on to, different pastures they may not be greener but they'll be some they'll be someplace different 
Don't know where yet. Uh, yeah. So I was down shopping. I like that. So you, have you been out recently? I hope you've been out recently. It's good for your health. Mental health. Maybe not, uh, maybe not long health. It seems like every single place that I go to, like if I go to like bookstores or thrift stores, there's always like at least one or two people that are just not wearing a mask. There's, there's definitely been like an executive order, whatever that means in the state of Colorado or county, you know, like I think in Boulder County, you have to wear a mask if you're indoors, like all people that have business establishments, they have to require a mask, but there's always like a few people like, they get in and as soon as they're, they're, as soon as they're out of sight of the cashiers, you know, they let take the mask off and just go walking around. It's like, are, are you just, I think you're just bored. I think you're just looking to start something. Like they're always like looking around, like making eye contact with people, like say something. I dare you. Go ahead. Say it. You know, that they're, they're just ready to like launch into some kind of tirade. Um, I, I just don't. They just don't like the mask, and they don't really care if they get sick. I can appreciate that. I'm kind of, um, it's been almost two years of this. I'm kind of getting uh, tired of life not being normal. But, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So that's life in the pandemic in Colorado. What else is going on? got a lot of stuff to talk about here, but I'm just, you know, pacing myself. I wouldn't want to throw it all at you at once. Got to make some small talk. You got to do the patter thing, kind of like ease your way up, you know, like get to the point where you're talking about serious stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if we do go into lockdown, what it is I'm going to do with my time. Uh, besides, I haven't really, like, fallen into a home routine here. Like, I work from home. I work in, like, my little two-bedroom condo. But I really don't, like, I I don't, like, have, like, a set of routines. Like, I, I do work here. I got my little office, my desk set up somewhere. I have, um, my living room is, like, a... I just set up like a weight bench and a bunch of like workout equipment. So I work out in my living room while I'm watching TV or I just sit on the weight bench and watch TV. That's like kind of like people that wear sweatpants around the house. They just lounge around in them when it's your yoga pants, you know, it's kind of like they don't do yoga or they do yoga maybe once or twice a week or something like that. But they, they got the yoga pants on just in case, you know, a session of yoga breaks out. They're ready for it, you know, in case they get in case the inspiration hits them to suddenly do it. Uh, I, I don't have a couch. I just have a weight bench that I, that I sit on and watch television from. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, I work out pretty regular, but at any point, you know, if I'm feeling, I suddenly get uh, up the, the nerve or the gumption, you know, I, I can just grab the weights and start going at any point. You know, you never know when you'll feel like exerting yourself. Might happen. <laughs> Might happen in the middle of your favorite TV show. What have y'all been watching lately? I've been, uh, okay, so I've had the last, this is my second week off of work. Like work was kind of like, you know, around Christmas time, nothing gets done anyway. 
most people are off for vacation. So that if you're, if you're coordinating with other people, nothing happens. So there's pretty much like, okay, at least my area of the company, they're like, just let's just take these two weeks off. Just go do something. Just come back ready to work on, you know, January 3rd or whenever, uh, we come back. So I've had the last two weeks off of work. I didn't plan anything because I was like, I wasn't really sure where to go. Um, I didn't really want to go home to be with family because that was, family wouldn't have been one thing. You know, it would have been, first of all, I was just there last year. I spent 10 months at home with family. So it's not exactly something I haven't done. Like, I think I've gotten my fill. And it would have been a bit of a trek. And it would have been numerous holiday occasions. And we, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten to see everybody, in essence. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's that respiratory stuff going. Uh, I kind of wanted to go to San Francisco. But the thing is, I'm going to San Francisco for work in about a month from now. Just over a month, like early February. So I mean, that's going to happen anyway. And I looked up San Francisco anyway. Like it, It's been raining the last couple of weeks. So I was like, I don't want to go there and just like hang out in the rain. Like If I'm going to go there, I want to be able to walk around and, and do things. So so I just, I just ended up staying home. I was like, maybe I'll get the inspiration to go up into the mountains, hang out in the Rockies, or go do something in Denver. Really, I really haven't, you know. Um, Yeah, so I've just been staying home and I've just been like watching television, uh, you know, watching movies. And that's been, that's been great. I've been watching all kinds of stuff. Um, I actually like that. I get excited. Like if it's a vacation day, I wake up, I like, okay, I'm going to make my coffee. And then I just, I'm just going to watch like a movie, maybe do some reading and watch another movie, kind of stagger those two things. It's a good day. You know, I got all these movies queued up. I love, I love the whole, let's just watch a movie. <coughs> Excuse me. Damn. <clears throat> okay, this is maybe worse than I thought. <clears throat> uh, in any case, what have I been watching lately? Many things, but what am I going to talk about first? That's always the question. Okay, so I got, I got to like mention this. I, I actually watched, uh, I watched Twilight. The first movie, like all five of them. I didn't know. I didn't know there were five. I thought there were three. I thought it was a trilogy, but there, there are apparently five of them. I watched the first one. They're all on Netflix right now. Uh, A few days ago, and I was very, very, um, I don't know, surprised, disappointed. Like, first of all, I, I accept that I'm not the audience for that movie. You know, I, like, I'm not the person that they're targeting. I, I totally, I totally get that. But I was very, very surprised. Like, the thing is, I do watch movies now, and it's... Okay, so here's what separates a good movie from a bad movie. Like, you can usually tell, like, in the first ten minutes or five minutes, or even the first scene, you know, if, if something's going to be good. And it really doesn't matter what genre it is. It doesn't matter what the plot is. Like, if it's... If it seems like it's well written, you know, if, if it seems like it's realistic, like what people are saying to each other is like plausible dialogue. And 
if you get the sense that there's going to be some sort of character growth, you know, I remember reading a book about screenwriting uh, maybe 10 years ago. And I remember being very, very surprised because I read the book and it said something akin to, you know, people watch movies because they want to see characters, you know, struggle with something, overcome the struggle. You know, they have some sort of conflict and then they resolve it and they grow as a person. They end up in a better place, you know. And he, he mentioned some examples. Like, you know, if you watch, I can't think of an example like from this particular book, but if you watch, if you watch any movie, you know, pick a, pick a movie. Um, he, he gave some examples and I was like, what is he talking about? Because I saw that movie and that movie is just about, uh, you know, um, uh, I gotta think of an example here. I'm not gonna be able to. I'm not good at this. My brain is not indexed that way. Um, but he, he, he gave an example. It was like, if you watch this movie, you'll see the main character grows and they are struggling with this and they end up coming out the other end as a better person. And I was like, that didn't happen. Like it was about, uh, you know, a shark or something in the water and they're fighting it, you know, like, like it's like my kind of like autistic brain was always focused on the plot. I was like, that's what matters in a movie. It's not the characters. It's, it's what happens, you know, watching Lost, you know, I'm not paying attention to the fact that they're developing Jack or Kate or Sawyer. I'm just like, there's a, there's a monster. There's a monster that's like, you know, something in the island that's knocking down the trees. What the hell is it? You know, is it a dinosaur? Like, that's what I was always focused on. What's this polar bear? You know, I, I was not paying attention to the plight of the characters for the most part, because that's, it just was never my focus. And so this book pointed it out. And I was kind of like, oh, huh, interesting. So I think that's, that's kind of what I look for now. Like that's actually what I'm interested in as I want to see a, a movie has a character. The character is like facing some sort of problem that I can relate to, even if I can't relate to it, you know, but then you, you kind of watch them struggle through it, you know, and it seems like movies, even where there's, there's a couple of like Christmas movies that I, I watched last year and I watched them again this year. Um, one of them is called Office Christmas Party, which has, um, Jason Bateman. Again, I always want to say Patrick Bateman. That's like the American psycho character. Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston. I think it's the same director who did the switch where, um, Jason Bateman like Slips his jizz into, uh, you know, Jennifer Aniston's donor's cup and, uh, that whole movie. Uh, but Office Christmas Party, like, there are character arcs. Like, it's basically like a dumb, uh, what would you call it? Stoner comedy, maybe? I guess? You know, it's pretty juvenile humor. Um, but there's, there's still like, you know, a, a conflict between like, a brother and sister and you know at the end they kind of resolve it and you know people figure out the problems in their lives like what's blocking them they overcome like even in a movie that's this, that's this silly there, there's still that element there it may not be the focus of it but it's still there you know it's secondary maybe in the background but you know it, it's not missing uh the other one is um the other christmas movie which is very similar 
uh, it's got Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it called Night Before. Again, similar, it's like stoner kind of humor. But there is still the whole, there's a character that it's focused on and this character has to work out some issue. You know, they have to figure some things out about themselves, you know, throughout the course of the movie. So this is always there, and this is always what I'm looking for. Um, just as like somebody who grew up wanting to be a writer, like I'm always, I'm always kind of looking, I'm always kind of inspecting the writing and saying, well, what were they thinking here? You try and reverse engineer what the writer was thinking and how they got to where they were getting, <clears throat> how they get to where they got. Uh, yeah, okay. It's starting to get late. It's only 6.30. <laughs> um, where was I going with all of this? Twilight. Twilight, yeah. So I watched Twilight. And the thing is, is that uh, uh, I don't, um, I didn't, I didn't see that. I, I didn't see like, so I guess Kristen Stewart's character, what is her name, Bella? Like she has a problem where she like has to leave her mom and stepdad and, and move from sunny Arizona to a place where there's, um, I, I guess it's Seattle. There's like no sunshine. And, you know, as pale as Kristen Stewart is, you think she would be happy about this, but she's not. You know, she's like, I got to go live with my dad in this like hick town that's only 2,000 people. And really there isn't like any thing that she's struggling with, except for I'm in a new town. And I'm kind of bored and lonely with my life. And I don't quite know what I want to do. And she ends up like meeting a guy. And by the end of the movie, her and the guy are like together. They're an item. And she's saying like, you know, I want to just be with you forever. And I mean, I think that's, that's, that's it. That is pretty much the essence of the entire story. It's like, there's a woman It was kind of lost, and she ends up uh, getting pulled out of her tepid and boring introspective existence uh, by some debonair guy who just, you know, happens to be a to be a vampire. Um, that's it. That's 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 as far as I can tell. That's all that happens. Like if if you're I guess that must be what, uh, maybe that's what romance is, like the romance genre. I've been trying to figure that out lately. Like what exactly distinguishes romance from like literature? And maybe it's just that in, in literature, you do have characters that struggle and grow. In romance, the only problem is there's, you know, usually a woman who can't find a guy and she finds a guy. And there's a whole bunch of graphic sex shit that goes on, and that's, you know, that's, I guess that's what romance is. Woman finds a guy, you know, and maybe there's other uh, fetish elements to it. You know, if you're into vampires, uh, maybe that's the, uh, that's the, it's, it's fetish fiction. I guess like that's, there, there was fan fiction that came out of it, right? This is, this is the other thing. Yes, I, okay. Before I get on to like Fifty Shades of Grey, um, so the, I like I gotta say like I was kind of actually creeped out 
by Twilight because it wasn't just like a girl finds like some debonair, charming knight in shining armor to whisk her off her feet and she falls in love. It's like it actually felt like a kind of dysfunctional, like like borderline abusive relationship. Like there's this guy who like says, I want to I want to I want to kill you. You know, I had this temptation to kill you because you're just alluring to me and I can't read your mind. And she's like, eh, you know, I, I trust you. I trust you not to kill me. You're, you know, your your nature is to feed on human blood, but uh, I'm good with it. And I was like, this just feels like some kind of, um, I don't know, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. It's just very, very creepy to me. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's its angle. It's not the vampire thing. It's the fact that there's like this. I don't know what even kind of abuse it is. This, this like emotional. I don't, it, it, the fact that you're with somebody who at any moment might just suddenly decide to turn on you and kill you by sucking your blood, like just having that hanging over your head, doesn't that feel kind of like a domestic abuse kind of situation? It's creepy. Anyway, I don't want to harp on that. I just, that's it just, that was my, my take. I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm meant to watch the next four of these things. Because I really don't, I don't see the story and I don't, uh, it's kind of creeping me out anyway. It's a disturbing relationship. It's disturbing that it was as popular as it was. You know, one thing for this story to exist, but Twilight was a kind of a whole thing. But I also, so a couple months ago, I, uh, I watched Fifty Shades of Grey. Like I rented that and watched that movie. And... I, I, of course, have the, somehow that was fan fiction. Like, that that was fan fiction that, like, was her name? E.L. James got out of, she wrote Twilight fan fiction that ended up becoming Fifty Shades of Grey. I really don't see the connection there. I'm really curious how that came about. Like, how did she sat down to write about uh, Edward Cullen and Bella, and she wrote about these other two characters, like Christian Grey and whatever the hell her name was. Um, I'm not even going to say the most obvious thing about Fifty Shades of Grey, which is that, of course, this is also fantasy. Like, this is uh, uh, Christian Grey, the character of Christian Grey, the guy in Fifty Shades of Grey, is like, he's a, he's a figment of cryptozoology. He's, he's like a Bigfoot or a Yeti or a Loch Ness monster. Like you, you don't find these guys. It's the kind of guy that every woman hopes to meet, but doesn't actually exist anywhere. Some young billionaire who like, you know, runs a company, he has a bunch of free time on his hands and he's like not quite into commitment, but he can be drawn into commitment with the right kind of leverage. Like, okay. I, uh, <laughs> I can, I can see how this is the, this is the fantasy. Like you want to meet a guy like this, but you know, okay, I'm not even. I don't want to harp on that because that's obvious. I'm sure that's what everybody complains about. Like these guys don't exist. It's fine. There's the the same trope exists the other way for like guy movies. You know, it's it's like there's there's a couple of nerds who just can't get laid. They're like stuck in their parents house or they're in an apartment somewhere and all they do is get high and 
you know, sit around and play video games. And they're kind of like, well, why can't we meet a girl and get laid? And like somehow the film brings about a circumstance where they meet a girl who is way out of their league, but somehow takes an interest in them. And, you know, they end up hooking up. This is these women don't exist. I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe maybe the girl next door. I think I think the girl ends up with one of the guys in that, right? Um, I, I can think of examples, but they're not bad movies, and I don't want to call them out. Anyway, it, it exists both ways. Like it seems like there's the fantasy guy, who's like rich and like is just looking to be tied down, you know. He's a wild stallion to be tamed, you know, but he, he's afraid of commitment. But, you know, with the right, if he meets the right woman, then he'll get tied down. And then there's a woman who is, for whatever reason, a virgin and incredibly attractive. And she meets some guy who's way below her, her level in terms of sexual um, appearance or standards or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, she somehow takes an interest in him. This is fantasy. But I mean, it's the same, it's the same complaint I had with Twilight is that what do you have? You have a, a, an introspective, like painfully shy, completely sexually inexperienced woman in her early twenties. Not terrible looking, not great, but you know, she's not bad looking. And she happens to become the, shall we say, romantic interest of this Christian Grey character. And I know there are three movies. I've only seen the first one, so maybe there's more to it than this. But the first movie, all that's all that happens is that there's this girl who's kind of not quite sure about what she's doing with her life, doesn't really take much initiative, hasn't really put herself out there very much. And like some guy kind of just appears and, you know, gives her... Here, here you go. Yeah, like she, she can't really find a guy, and suddenly she finds a guy, and finds a weird sort of gratification in whatever his, whatever his shit is, you know, um, whatever he's into. And it's, it's, um, yeah. The thing is, I, I have a lot of trouble relating to this sort of. Again, it's not for me, but I don't understand what what you're supposed to take away from that. Like a, a girl's just sort of drifting through life aimlessly, like, I don't know what to do. And then suddenly, like, a, a man rescues her from her tepid existence and, like, gives her purpose and life and excitement. And that's, that seems to be like the story, like, that's how the story gets set up. And then that's the resolution. Like, what is, what is the message there? If you just sit there passively and, like, let your life happen to you, eventually Prince Charming will appear. Is that it? It's the same thing with the, with the guy movies. If you just sort of like, if you go embark on something stupid and mindless, you know, somehow you'll come into contact with a hot girl who wants to bang you. Is this like, these are, these are pointless stories because there's no development. There's no growth. But maybe that's the point. Maybe I'm not supposed to understand. Maybe the, maybe the whole point is, yeah, um, there is this fantasy of, okay. I don't want to pick on Twilight and 50 Shades of Grey. To be honest, I've, for those of you, like, it's a few days after Christmas right now. And so I, I wanted to watch some Christmas movies. 
And I was really, really hopeful. Like I was like, I want to like get into the spirit of the season, you know, the days leading up to Christmas. I was like, I'm going to watch some of these, um, you know, if you go on prime video, there's all sorts of, uh, or, or Netflix, there's a whole bunch of like Christmas movies you can watch. And it's, it, it's, they're kind of like hallmark Christmas movies. And I was always looking at the ones that, I guess it's the ones that Amazon recommends to me, but it, the story was always the same. There's some woman who's a workaholic. She doesn't take her personal life seriously. Like she's just her, all, she's all about work. She's let the, less, the rest of her life go to rot. She's got some friend who tells her, you know, you've got to, you've got to like expand your horizons, put yourself out there and find a guy because there's more to life than work. And she's like, no, 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 no. And, you know, somehow, uh, whatever, whatever the holiday season brings about for her, she ends up meeting a guy. And I was actually very, very disappointed because I tried watching like somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen of these movies and they were all the same setup. And the same, like, horrible dialogue, the same, like, just wooden characters, you know, it was, I was, I was like, okay, this is not going to play well. I can tell. And it's just like, whoever, whoever was doing this was phoning it in. Somebody said, like, so somebody has Barton Fink at a typewriter in a hotel room somewhere, some executive, and said, like, write a Christmas movie. And then you go, the, the other writers just like, okay, I'll do the bare minimum I have to to like pump this out and they'll get some million actors to star in it. They'll put it out and it'll, it'll recoup the amount of money that they spent on it, hopefully, which wasn't a lot. Uh, yeah. They were, they were really had, there were not too many creative movies. Like what were some, what were some of the 12 dates of Christmas? Which actually stars Amy Smart. That one maybe had potential. I couldn't quite get into it. But it was like Amy Smart was attached. I was like, this could be something. Uh, there was Christmas in Mississippi. Um, I don't even remember them. There was one called The Spirit of Christmas about a woman who it was, she's like a realtor and she has to sell a hotel. And when she goes to sell the hotel, like the guy, there was, there's a ghost living there. And, she ends up hooking up with the ghost or something and they, they fall in love. And I don't, I'm just curious how that, how you, how do you resolve that? That was the way it was in, it was a ghost, right? Like, um, uh, what was his name? It has like the famous scene where they're like doing the pottery wheel thing. Uh, it's like Demi, is it Demi Moore? Demi Moore, however you pronounce her name. And, uh, Patrick Swayze. It's like, how exactly does this work? You hook up with a ghost, and then you're, you're, do you, do you marry him? I don't know. I've never seen like the guy version of this. This is, this is what I wanna, I want, <laughs> I wanna see the guy, like there, there's a guy who like goes into a house and there's like, I, I guess it would be a really, really hot girl's ghost you know, there and somehow they end up hooking up and, um, I don't know. For some reason that just seems creepy to me. I don't know why the other way isn't creepy to people also. The idea that you're hooking up with a spirit or some phantasm. And that, it just seems like an allegory for like pornography or something. I don't, 
anyway, I, I digress. I, <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I, I found some good Christmas movies, but, uh, obviously they're, they're few and far between. It's difficult to, to pick them out. Very hit or miss. There was one I watched, and I think it's about a year old. This is not one I'm recommending, but it, it's called, uh, it's called Fat Man, which features Mel Gibson as Santa Claus. And, um, you know, he's, he's kind of like, he's kind of like cynical, like it's modern day. So more kids are getting coal, um, than they are getting gifts, but he's only subsidized by the U.S. government based on how many gifts he delivers, not how much coal. So for budgetary reasons, he has to like take on contracts from the U.S. military. So he has elves making, uh, I don't know, uh, guidance systems for missiles or something. Uh, just to make ends meet. And there's some spoiled rich brat who has like a hitman on speed dial who gets a lump of coal and he's like, okay, Santa, you just screwed up big time. And he, he hires, uh, his hitman to kill Santa Claus. And the hitman is played by Walton Goggins, who is, I, I, I love that actor. Everything he does is, he, he knows how to commit to a role. And, uh, I don't know. This is like, Kind of a, a deadpan, you know, not a laugh out loud sort of Christmas movie, but it was amusing in the way that it kind of took the idea of Santa Claus and stuck, you know, stood the idea on its head. You know, it's not the Christmas Chronicles. It was something different. You know, it was, I was, I was entertained by it at the very least. Um, I came across Bad Santa. Too, which I so bad Santa is like almost 20 years old at this point and I was thinking it's kind of funny that we all used to think that this was a really funny and subversive Christmas movie I mean it was when it came out but it's certainly you watch it now and it's just kind of like well this is I, I feel like this has a lot of relatives <laughs> there's a lot of other movies that kind of seem like this you know I think it's been imitated to the point where it it kind of its own sense of originality has been lost. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's not, doesn't quite have the impact now that it used to. Plus, I've seen it too many times. Um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's Christmas movies. That, that's my Christmas movie, uh, set of reviews. I just went through a whole bunch of, um, Yeah, but I've been watching other things too. Like I, oh, hang on. So that's that. What I have been noticing actually is that I, like, time was you turn on the TV and you look for something to watch. It's like I want to watch something that I've seen before so that I know that I'm gonna like it. And everything that seems new is kind of like uh, uh, I'm not sure. I don't know how to like approach this unless somebody's told me that it's good. Uh, I, I have like the opposite inclination now. Like if I turn on Netflix and I see something, it's like, Hey, here's this movie that was really funny, you know, 10 years ago, or I've seen this before. I'm like, I, I, I don't want anything to do with it. I mean, just give me something new that I haven't seen. Let me try. You know, it takes a little bit longer to find something you like. You got to sample quite a bit, but I'm looking for the new stuff. Something that isn't a Christmas movie. 
Um, okay, so I saw that new one on Netflix. I think it was just released on Christmas Eve, so less than a week ago. Uh, called Don't Look Up, which stars like Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. And it's, it's funny. It's definitely a satire. It kind of says like, let's say you take the film Armageddon and that there's a, there's an asteroid or a meteor, whatever it is when it's still in space. Like that's headed towards the earth and it's big enough that when it hits, it's going to cause like, an extinction level event, like, you know, KT boundary thing that killed the dinosaurs, that sort of thing. It's going to completely destroy the planet. And it's kind of like take that whole premise and put it into like our current cultural and political situation. And it's just, I don't want to spoil like very much of it, but it's like the, they find the the asteroid. It's like Leonardo DiCaprio is like a, I think he's a professor of astronomy. And Jennifer Lawrence is a a doctorate. Uh, she's a graduate student. And, you know, they go to the White House. They, they discover this. They go to the White House and they say, here, this is this looks like this is going to happen. This is going to like wipe out life on Earth as we know it. And they're just kind of like, well. This is really bad timing because this would not, uh, you know, there's, we got the midterm elections coming up. So they just try and downplay it as much as possible. And like the president herself, I forget, is it Meryl Streep who plays her? Anyway, she hasn't, her son is like the chief of staff of the White House, who's played by Jonah Hill. And he's kind of like, so where are you guys from again? And, and Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence's characters are like, we're from Michigan State. I mean, he's, He's like, Michigan State? Really? We're supposed to take you seriously? Like, that's, that's not exactly Princeton or Yale. And I thought this was particularly funny because Michigan State happens to be my alma mater. I am way back in the day was a Spartan. Go green. And yeah, it is not exactly the Ivy Leagues. Like, one of the, um, one of the things that makes it ring true to me is that uh, the Jennifer Lawrence's character is a raging pothead, you know? Uh, always has like a bowl with her whenever she's, uh, wherever she goes. And, um, yeah. And, you know, the thing is they, they go on TV and they announce this to the world and like nobody even notices or cares about what they said because it's overshadowed by like the latest celebrity gossip. You know, the talk show hosts are kind of playing it off like, well, this is great. You guys discovered a comment. That is something, you know. And when they're talking about how it's going to kill everything on Earth, they're like, well, yeah, this isn't very lighthearted, you know. Try to keep it, uh, try to keep it entertaining because people don't like bad news. And of course, it uh, it ends up becoming this whole uh, political thing, you know. People are split between there is a comet versus there is not a comet or asteroid. And um, yeah, it's just it it's. It's Armageddon told in current uh, circumstances, which is um, it's it's worth watching. I think it's um, <laughs> it's uh, clever. The uh, there was some kind of a response to it. Like I read a couple like reviews of it that said something akin to, you know, this is this is about climate change 
to be honest, I didn't get that from the film at all. I can see that that might be what it's about. It's talking about how divided we are on something that is fundamentally an existential threat. And I can definitely see that, but I, I can't, um, I don't know. Like for me, that just kind of ruins it. I probably shouldn't even have said that. Like, don't think about that when you watch it. It just, it just seemed like it was making fun of the political environment and you don't have to make the central event of the movie an analogy for anything specific. I think you enjoy it more if you just look at it that way. Like, yeah, culture is kind of uh, polarized and fragmented in a very, very strange way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I The thing is, I, I keep seeing this a lot. And this film is a good example of that. It's the perfect example of that. But you... Somebody makes a movie, puts it out there, and some commentators, some reviewers post like really negative reviews and they say, well, this is just more, you know, liberalist agenda. You know, it's liberal propaganda that's pushing the leftist agenda. Something like that. This is, this is just terrible. And I guess people are saying that about the film Don't Look Up because it is kind of making a point about, you know, we're not taking the science behind climate change seriously, it's inconvenient for, I guess, um, those in power in a lot of ways. And so there's there's an incentive to not take it as seriously as we maybe should, uh, at least not to look at it as closely as we ought to. And that sort of thing, that's a perfect example. Like, But you, you do see it about other things, like if there's a, a gay couple that are, you know, they're, they're a couple of characters in a film, or there's a biracial couple. People be like, well, this is just, you know, this is just overly politically correct bullshit. You know, they're just foisting the leftist agenda on, on, uh, you know, on people. Like, really? Because you try and include more diversity, this is like somehow foisting some sort of, well, what would your, re- how should things be then? Besides, like, I'm kind of curious, like, they, if you, if you look at something like Don't Look Up, and you say, okay, this is just basically leftist propaganda, the entire story itself, like, the way it's told, the way it's framed, you know, the way the characters are portrayed, it, it it's, it, it clearly seems to have, like, if, if you make it about climate change, then it's clearly about people ignoring the science for business interests versus people who are, who know the science. That there's, clearly that, that's the divide, and it doesn't portray the people who are on the business side of things, who have business interests and who ignore the science. It doesn't portray them favorably. That is absolutely true. That, that is an accurate way of so, I mean, to the extent that it has a political slant, it definitely slants left. But here's the thing, like, it, I hear this about a lot of movies. Like, what comes out of Hollywood is just a bunch of leftist tripe pushing an agenda. Um, what exactly is the conservative 
uh, side of things. And I know that these things don't get made because there's a horrible, you know, whatever, liberal bias in Hollywood. I get it. I'm not saying the movie should be made. I'm not saying, you know, make your own. Uh, maybe that's not feasible. But let's say you were to tell that story. Take the same premise. There's an asteroid headed towards Earth, right? And we've got to do something about it. You want to tell that story, but you want it to have, you want it to push the conservative agenda. You want it to push conservative bias. What is the story then? This is, this is what I never hear. Like, I hear a lot of people complaining about how Hollywood films are inevitably leftist, but what is the conservative version of this? Somebody must have tried to have written this. Is it just, um, is it, is it Atlas Shrugged, that Anne, Anne Rand story? I started watching that, actually. I think I, did I watch the, all of the first one? I know I'm complaining about a whole lot of movies here that I didn't like. Really, I like most things I watch. I'm actually pretty, I'm kind of a whore when it comes to cinema. You can just give me, throw anything at me, I'll probably enjoy it on some level. Even everything I've trashed so far. Um, but, but, uh, no, like Atlas Shrugged, that's the one that, um, that was made into a trilogy of films. I remember watching that and being like, okay, this is about a bunch of industry tycoons who are facing persecution by the government. And honestly, I was, I was watching this, like, I was confused. It's like, it's not, it, they didn't even make the main characters, the protagonists, the people we're supposed to be rooting for, like every man. They're like extremely rich business guys. Like, are these, are we supposed to relate to these people? Is your average conservative supposed to relate to these people? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand who the audience is for this movie. Like, outside of, um, I don't, I don't, like CEOs of major companies, that sort of thing. Like, you actually are a baron of some industry. Like, I think the, uh, what the CEO of Uber is a very, large Ayn Rand fan, isn't he? Um, but, but I was like, this. I don't know why you make a set of movies about this and push it out there because it does, it, I, couldn't, I couldn't get into it. I was like, I don't see why I care what happens to these people. Like, what, even if they fail, they're going to be fine. And they're not sympathetic characters anyway. I, don't, I wasn't made to care about them. Maybe just poor writing uh, of the film. I haven't read the books, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. What is the conservative take on all of these movies that apparently have a leftist agenda? Really, somebody should be writing these and they should be doing a better job of it. If they're, they're like conservative cinema, this, this, this should exist. Um, actually, no, it shouldn't. I think if like, yeah. No, if, if, I think if you're writing conflict well in films, then you should portray both sides as being sympathetic. Stories about like good versus evil, that feels so, I don't know, that's too easy. Versus evil. 
at least like loss was like complicated enough what the ultimate ending of that the ultimate struggle it's kind of like well you can sympathize with the bad guy you know the guy who's supposed to be pure evil like you know you kind of understand where he's coming from it's just there was a conflict and one of them had to lose but it wasn't like he was you know pure evil like unrelatable evil Ah. I don't know, thinking about, trying to think of what to do with this time. Like, if I go on self-imposed lockdown, I would like to write, but I got to say that I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, like, just sitting at a computer. Like, I haven't done any writing on the break because I don't want to use my free time, my time off of work, like, just staring at a computer screen hunched over a keyboard. I would rather do anything than that. I'd rather, like, do some kind of crafts. I'd rather do some cooking. Any, anything. Like, I'd rather just walk around my apartment staring at the walls. Because at least that's something else. That's something... It's like I'm not... I, I don't know. I have a lot of book ideas, but they'd be tough to develop. I would like to try writing some children's books. I think... Okay, so the secret to children's books. I think is so one of my favorite ones is if you give a mouse a cookie and the reason i like that story is because one it speaks to a universal truth and the title itself has become part of the general like lexicon like i've i've said that i've been in meetings at work and i've said like you know somebody asked me for help but i had to turn them down because you know if you give them out a cookie everybody knows what you talk about when you drop that phrase they know exactly what book you're referencing and they know exactly what concept you're driving at now that's a really powerful thing like adults know this even even adults who aren't parents they read it when they were young it's like there there might be another idiom for this that you would find in like an idiom dictionary but I can't, I can't think of what that would be. Yeah, I can't think of another one. So it's, it's just perfect. And the thing is, even if there is a better one, like if there was one that comes from, I don't know, Aristotle or some shit, then the one you have, like if you give a mouse a cookie, it comes from a kid's book. It's like whimsical. It's lighthearted. You know, it's not, uh, it doesn't sound as pretentious. So, I mean, crafting a narrative around some basic truth of human nature or the world about like, like that, you know, something that a kid can enjoy and it just coins a phrase. Eh, not a bad thing to shoot for, I don't think. I don't know. My, my thumb is not on the pulse of what uh, would be entertaining to kids. Uh, okay. It looks like I'm getting a call. All right, I'll be back. Talk to you guys shortly. All right, people, let's uh, let's talk neighbors. I'm trying to be general interest here um, instead of talking about deep intellectual philosophical crap. Uh, <laughs> and neighbors are, of course, of tremendous interest now that we're all, you know, kind of on lockdown. It's uh, there's a universality to this. Uh, I've mentioned I have a, a an upstairs neighbor um, before, and he's something of a stomper. It's uh, something I've I haven't quite gotten used to, but I, I've you know 
learn to just sort of tune it out. If you hear any commotion in the background, it's probably him. He's doing something up there. Um, but I, I noticed like, I know that he moved in, I think in March of this year. And like within two months of that, the guy who had lived here for three or four years before me in the unit I'm in, uh, he moved out and they had to scramble to try and fill the, the vacancy. I, I'm not sure that's a coincidence. It's, uh, it, it is somewhat distracting and it's a little bit confusing too. I really don't know. Okay. So I'm doing the rear window thing here. Okay. You know, the Hitchcock movie, like you, you start wondering about your neighbors when you're bored and you've got nothing else to do. I'm very curious about what it is he is doing up there because he does a lot of walking back and forth. And I'm just trying to like reverse engineer what it is he's doing. Like what, what hobby or activity could he engage in that would require this sort of, I don't know what you, um, sort of back and forth walking. And it's not like he's pacing. Um, I have his place mapped out. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Like I'll hear him. Like, I know like where his living room is. I know where he sleeps. I can hear him well enough that I could, I could figure out where he, where his stuff is, where how, roughly how his place is arranged and his front door, his front hallway. And I believe a, a bathroom just off of it are right under uh, the the room where I sleep. It's right under my bed. And so the week before Christmas, I heard him, um, I was lying in bed, just sort of like resting my eyes in the dark. And I heard him like walking above me and he would like walk from his like living room out in the public area that overlooks the park to the front hallway or to some room that's there back out to the living room, back to the front hallway. And the thing is, he's not pacing. I know he's not pacing because there's like, there's a pause. Like he goes to each side and he like stops, like he's doing something and then goes back. And this was going on for like, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes at least. Like I, I, I wasn't really counting, but he must've gone back and forth this, this exact route, uh, probably a hundred times. And I'm just trying to figure out what is it, what is it that uh, he's doing? You know, like this is the week before Christmas. So the first day it happened, I was like, Oh, he's packing. For some reason, he's got his clothes in this room and he's got his suitcase in the living room. He's just walking back and forth, getting one article of clothing with each trip, but he's, he's planning to go out of town. Maybe he's like, um, putting his, his, the stuff he's taking to go visit his family by the door, you know, he's just, he's setting himself up to, to go out of town, you know, or, or maybe he's just getting his place ready for people to come visit. And this is after like, this was like the first day, like after day three of this, um, fairly routine back and forth, I was like, okay, he's not, he's not packing. Whatever it is that's going on up there, this is more, um, I don't know. Uh, at some point, I was kind of like, the thing about my building is that the units are very, very well insulated uh, acoustically, meaning that if he's watching television uh, or doing anything, I can't hear it. 
I've got neighbors and I can't hear anything, but structural vibrations, which is to say footsteps or stomps, I can very much hear and very often feel if they're heavy enough. Um, that's when it gets annoying is that like when he actually starts stomping, uh, which usually happens when he's preparing to leave. That's how I know he's going to leave. He starts stomping around really heavily and I can feel the walls shaking. I can hear like things rattling in my unit. I'm like, okay, he's he's gonna leave. Usually, his footfalls are not that heavy. But where was I going with this? Anyway, yeah. So I'm doing the I'm doing the thing that you do, you know, when you have a neighbor and you're kind of like, it's the whole you're trying to like figure out what it is they're doing. I'm bored. I got nothing else to do. I'm, I'm locked at home. Um, you know, <laughs> so you start wondering. What's what's going on with this uh, neighbor of mine? And I really, I, I don't know. The thing is, it's, he didn't go anywhere for Christmas. He stayed home. No one came to visit for Christmas. He, he's just up there by himself. Uh, and I, I, I really have no idea what he's doing. There was at one point when I was standing at the stove and I thought I heard a dog bark like a few times. And I was like, maybe he has a dog. That would make so much sense. He's like taking care of his dog. That would, that would make, that would make sense, except I've never actually seen him go out with a dog before. I know, I know when he goes out. I know the front door, you know, him going down the stairs, his heavy footfalls on the stairs. Like I know, I know when it's him coming home or him leaving, um, which is kind of messed up. You know, it's not like I'm, this is how clear all of this is. I'm not like intentionally going out of my way to pay attention to this. I'm not like checking him out, you know, or watching him. This is just this this input to my senses just sort of drifts in naturally, and I don't have to really try to receive it. It just I notice it well enough that I don't have to try <laughs> to to observe uh, what's going on. And so I really, I really have no idea. Like the, the theory I came up with is that he's like, you know, after like the first month or two of this, what living here, I kind of assumed that, okay, he must be like on cocaine or meth or something. Some, some upper that isn't like entirely legal, or maybe it's a legal one. Maybe one of those over the counter things. What's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know uppers very well, but I was like, I feel like that's what he's doing. Like the, the, the front, like under or above where I sleep, you know, or on the front entrance of his place. It's like, I feel like there was, there must be like a mirror and it has lines of Coke on it. And it just, he's, he's like walking out to the living room and saying, I didn't quite get enough. And he goes back and he like snorts a little bit, comes back out to the living room, thinks, Hey, I didn't get enough. So he goes back and he's just like going back and forth or maybe he just like, is looking at himself in the bathroom mirror in the front. And he goes back out to the living room and he forgets what he looked like and it panics him. So he goes back. It feels like this, like it, the, the, the amount of antsiness, the, the purposeless wandering that it seems to, to be like, I feel like there must be some sort of stimulant involved. You know, it can't just be more than, it can't just be too much coffee. You know, I don't, <laughs> I have no idea what it is. So, I mean, this is, and this is kind of like, I hear him leave. I heard him leave like last week. Like I heard the door shut and I sort of like peeked out 
and there's the stairs that come down in front of my my front door and I saw him like you know barrel down the stairs super fast and he like goes scampering off like super quickly he's walking very very fast paced and I was like yeah he's going he's going to see his dealer he's going to, <laughs> he's going to get another ounce or whatever the hell it is he's he's doing I feel like that's the only time he leaves he doesn't he doesn't really go anywhere never has people over uh so you know you gotta wonder he's a lone wolf that doesn't that doesn't really um help the curiosity like who who doesn't have anyone and this is this is the reason I'm not like <laughs> it's it's manageable because it's just him uh you know, it's it's not like there's a family of four living above me. It occurs to me that if there were that many people, that it might actually get somewhat intolerable. You would have people in every room. Um, he's just one guy. He does go out sometimes to do whatever, um, and he keeps a he keeps a relatively normal sleep schedule. You know, um, there have been times when he's been awake, like seemingly all night like I'll just wake up and I'll hear him walking around uh all through the night and the next day it'll be silent I'm like so there's there's the question of what he does for a living I'm not sure he does anything he might be one of those like bitcoin millionaires who like um just got lucky and he now he lives here and he did uh, you know does whatever it is he does um but I, I can't imagine him having a job with the schedule that he keeps or, you know, what I hear him doing throughout the day. Or maybe, maybe all the pacing back and forth has something to do with his job. Maybe he's, uh, I can't imagine what that job would be though. See, it's still just the curiosity. It's still just like, what, what could it be? You know, if he's a carpenter and he's like building things or something, like you, you walk to one end of your place to get the toolbox, you come back and then you're sitting somewhere working for a bit. This is what I do. I gotta build a bookshelf. I go get the screwdrivers and whatever else, come back, and I'm, I'm situated one place for a while working on something. I'm not going back and forth. So it was, what the fuck's going on here? You know? And, uh, you know, he actually did come down once. I've met him. And if you, if you can imagine like a real life version of Homer Simpson, um, like if you were to incarnate the character of Homer Simpson in the flesh and then take away the three hairs on his head, that's roughly what this fellow looks like. Um, that's not meant to be pejorative. That's just descriptive. That's 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 exactly what he looks like. He, he has the same build and just general features. And uh, he came down one evening to complain about the noise I was making. I was using a mortar and pestle to grind up some some chai spice. Got here and knock at my door. I'm like, okay, I think I know what this is about. Nobody ever comes to my door and knocks. And um, I had kind of heard him like while I was grinding for the past hour, I heard him like running around his unit upstairs. And suddenly there's a knock at my door. I was like, okay, he was clearly just running around looking for the source of this sound. And he's coming down to investigate. It was like, okay, I was like, I know this is happening. I put on a shirt and like, uh, <laughs> open the door. And, um, you know, he's, he's standing there and, uh, you know, it was, um, it was a very, very quick encounter. 
didn't take long. And he was kind of like, yeah, there, there's some noise. He's like, I, 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 what's going on? I was like, I'm using a mortar and pestle. I was like, that's my mistake. It's like, it's 11 o'clock at night. It's kind of late. I'll, uh, I'll stop doing that. But I guess the mortar and pestle, the grinding, it, it, it conducts the sound through the structure of the building. And so I was like, okay, you know, that, that's my bad. I won't, uh, won't do the mortar and pestle anymore this evening and, uh, I'll try and keep it to a dull roar in the future. Uh, he was like, you know, uh, thanks or something. Um, but I mean, based on that interaction, I was like, kind of like, yeah, you're, you're clearly like, uh, something of a douchebag, you know, you sort of came down with this reactive, like, what was that noise, man? And, uh, yeah, the, my interaction with him that one time, I, I can't exactly say it does anything to disprove or invalidate my hypothesis that he might be on coke. It seemed, seemed fairly amped up for, you know, 11 o'clock at night and very, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I saw him the next day, actually, like the, the, the day after, like the night after he came down and was like, hey, you know, what the hell? Um, I was sitting like uh, on, like on a bench, uh, at Pearl Street Mall, which is like the downtown, like a few blocks from, from where we live. And like, I was just sitting there watching people go by and somebody like walked by and they walked by like a little bit too close. Like they were definitely like in my personal space. Like there was enough, whoever it was, didn't have to walk that close to me. You know, whoever this person was, was clearly trying to get my attention. And I kind of like, I noticed that and I looked up and it was him and he's kind of looking down at me like, you know, Hey, you know, I recognize you. You're the dude, <laughs> you know, nothing unfriendly. I just sort of looked up at him and just sort of nodded, but I felt like there was like an awkwardness on his part. Like, he's like, that's my neighbor. Should I say hi? Like what, how much, how deep should I go into this? How, you know, should I, I was like, dude, just it's, relax. Okay. <laughs> I, I get the sense that you feel like we need to like, we don't have to be friends. He's like, I don't know what you're into up there. Um, but I, I don't, uh, we don't, we don't have to know each other. We don't have to, we don't have to do this. <laughs> I just sort of, bare minimum, I'll be friendly, but, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, engage. I, I don't know what he's doing. I don't really want to know. Um, not all that much. I'm curious about it. Like, I like the puzzle more than I would like the actual answer. If I had the answer, it would kind of ruin it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I can't actually observe anyone. Like, I live across the street from a park now. It's not like when I was living in San Francisco. I, I look out my window and I would see like a whole, you know, bunch of windows of apartments or condos where people are living across from me. And it's like you could, you could spy on these people. This was like a COVID pastime that, uh, I didn't really do. But it was an option. You know, occasionally I would glance over and be like, so what, how are other people living? You know, I wouldn't stare. And I certainly wouldn't try and look into places where, uh, you know, um, I, I guess people are trying to, like, have their blinds closed. Like, if you draw the curtains, okay, it's fine. Okay, that's a signal. I don't want to be seen. But if you're, like, 
This place across the street from me had like floor to ceiling windows. And if, if you're, if you're there doing that, you know, and you've got your, your curtains open and the lights are all on, it's, it's kind of like you have to know that people can see in. Like you're, you live across the street from a 13 story condo building. Like you do understand that you're visible. Like you're on display for a bunch of people. You're like in a, I, I don't know what you call it exhibit at a museum you're being exhibitionist if you're doing this like you have to know that and um yeah so i don't have the visual thing going so i just have the the sound of this one person who lives above me and so it's 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 a mystery who is this guy what does he do what is he doing what the hell is all of this you know um (laughs) um yeah, it's just, it's just you, you must wonder about this, right? Nobody doesn't pay attention to their neighbors. When I was in San Francisco, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Like, of course, I would occasionally glance out and I would see, you would just, you would look out and you would see the neighbors across the way in the units doing something. And again, it's floor to ceiling windows in this building. And a lot of people just left the curtains open. And there was like a woman who was right across from me. Like, so I didn't even have to like look around. If I just looked across, there was a woman in a, in a unit and she was like younger, I think. I don't know how old she was. She wasn't 80. Like she was clearly young and, you know, go, 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 a go getter, you know? Um, but I remember one time, like early on during COVID, like maybe month two, I was like folding my laundry in my bedroom and I looked out. And I saw her and she's just like completely naked, wandering around her place. And I was like, huh, okay. And I didn't stare because I'm not one of those creepy fucking, like there's nothing about, there's there's nothing really about a naked woman that intrigues me, especially not a naked woman who's just like, you're, you're looking into her place. Like it's an invasion of privacy. Like, no, thank you. There's nothing exciting for me about that at all. I'm not a voyeur. Um, but I was kind of like, you know, do you understand what you're doing here? Like you live across the street from a bunch of like, like from a huge condo complex. You have floor to ceiling windows. Your curtains are open. Your lights are all on and you're wandering around bare ass naked. You have to know that you're on display for a bunch of people, right? Is it, does it bother you or are you just oblivious? That's what I wonder. I was like, does she know? Does she just not give a shit? And of course, I have no idea. I think she she moved out a couple months later and some other people moved in. But there was one night, I remember this, like, because we couldn't really go out during during COVID. When I was in San Francisco, I was living in a condo, like, right by Oracle Park. Extremely urban place. Um, just a bunch of, like, condo high-rises. Like, there was nowhere you could really go and get out without potentially being a, around a bunch of people who might get you sick. You know, um, so I took it pretty seriously. I was like, until we know more, I'm just staying in completely. So to keep myself from going nuts, I, uh, I, I would go out on my patio. I actually had a patio, which was like maybe 200 square feet, which was, you know, rare commodity for this part of San Francisco. I was so glad I had that. But I used to go out and pace on that, you know, just like do an endless figure eight 
try and get like 10,000 steps in a day, um, listening to music or a podcast or something. And there was one evening, you know, late one evening, it was definitely dark out. And I didn't have my, I didn't have my outdoor light on. Like I was just like wandering around and like, at some point I became aware, okay, this girl is wandering around her place naked again. Like I just, I just kind of like out of my corner of my eye, something moves. Your attention's drawn. I looked over. I was like, oh, she's doing that again. Okay. I just kept walking. And uh, maybe five minutes later, I, I happened to like look over again, you know, not to check her out, but I was just like, eh, you know, your, your, your visual gaze goes there. And I saw her. I think what she was doing is she had herself wrapped up in her curtain and she was like looking at me. Like she, like, like she had noticed me walking across the street on my patio and she was like, I'm naked. He can probably see me. You know, I have no idea if that's what was going on, but that's what it, that's what it looked like at a glance. I didn't like stop and stare because no, no thank you. There's no reason to do that. But I, I caught a couple, um, glances of her, of her sitting there like, like clearly looking at me. You know, and it looked like she was like shielding herself. Like, is this guy checking me out? Like, yeah, you're, you're on display. Have you not put this together yet? You know, you're being exhibitionist, whether you're doing it intentionally or not. I don't really give a shit, but there's, uh, there's probably people in my building who are fucking creeps and they're, they might have binoculars or something trained on you. So yeah, close your fucking curtains. Um, I didn't even pay attention. Like if that was the, a wake up call for her, then she would have started keeping her curtains closed. And I, I have no idea if she started doing that. I really, this is really only something I noticed a few times. Um, I did notice there was one time she had a guy over and they clearly started doing what couples do when they're alone together and naked. And, uh, I was like, still, you know, I I kind of like watched probably longer than I should have. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, stare at this for 60 seconds. Um, Because I just can't believe it. I was like, you you guys must understand that you can be seen very clearly. Um, And I don't know. I think like 10 minutes later, I looked back over again. Like the curtains were drawn. The lights were out. I was like, okay. It's like... um, the end of North by Northwest, like the train goes into the tunnel. It's like very, very subtle. You know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, there was, um, there was that. I watched, uh, speaking of movies, as long as we're on the topic of movies, there, there is a, a, a prime or an Amazon, whatever the hell it is, movie called The Voyeurs, which is like about this very thing. It's like about, it's, it's, kind of like uses the same premise as Rear Window. If you don't know Rear Window, it's an old Hitchcock film where Jimmy Stewart is like, he's in a wheelchair. Like, I think both of his legs are broken. He's uh, basically confined, can't go anywhere, but he, his his place overlooks a courtyard and there's a building across from him and he can see into all of the units. And he's a photographer. That's what he does for a living. Like he got into an accident because he was photographing um, race cars. And he got a little bit too close, tried to get too perfect of a shot, and he ends up in the hospital. And so he's, you know, he's uh, 
He's got nothing to do while he's in recovery. Um, he has like a lady caller uh, that comes over occasionally. I think I, is that Grace Kelly. But so he occupies himself by like spying on his neighbors. And it's kind of like, it's kind of creepy how much he does it. You kind of understand, okay, he's bored. He's got nothing else to do. Um, he's confined to this wheelchair. And so he like just starts watching the neighbors and he thinks he sees one of his neighbors commit a murder. Like it looks to him like he murdered his wife. So he starts getting paranoid and telling people about it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like that story told with a slightly different, different scenario. But it's about a couple that move into some place and, you know, across the way, across the street, they can see their neighbors. And they, they kind of get the sense, okay, the guy's having an affair, you know. And, um, yeah, the thing is, it's, uh, I don't know, the thing is, I enjoyed it. It was like one of those movies I was kind of like, okay, this is a nice ride. But at some point, there's like so many twists and turns. Like at some point, like the third twist in the plot, you know, it, it just you're kind of like, okay, this is this is stretching credibility or plausibility. I don't think this would actually happen, but I can dig the story. Um, might be worth checking out uh, if you're if you're interested in that sort of thing. But uh, yeah. I'm always hesitant to mention that. If you say, like, you recommend a movie to someone, sometimes just saying there's a twist is, like, enough to completely give it away. In this case, I don't think it is. Um, Because there's enough elements to the plot that any any number of the things can be a twist. Uh, But sometimes somebody tells you that there's a twist. You know, like, I think we watched... A friend of mine told me, let's watch Nicole Kidman in The Others, which is a movie about some um, some lady with some kids living in a very large house out in a very rural area. You know, her husband's off to war or something, and there's there's hauntings going on. And my friend told me, like, in the beginning of this movie, like, there's a twist, you know, before we started watching it. And as we watched, I was like, Maybe like 30 minutes into the film, I was like, okay, I know where this is headed because you told me there's a twist. There, there's no other thing it could be, you know, and, um, so it's, it, I don't know, saying there's a twist is kind of like, it couldn't be a spoiler. I try to be judicious about, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tricky. I try not to like talk about movies too much unless you meet somebody unless you meet somebody who's also met like also watched eh, the same movie and you can like actually talk about it. The two of you can like banter about uh, what you liked or didn't like about it. Um, I don't usually talk about movies, you know, to people that haven't seen them. Like there's, like if I ask somebody, hey, have you seen X TV show or X movie? And they look at me and they say, no, that's the end of the conversation for me. I don't like being one of those people that's like, hey, have you seen this movie? And then somebody's like, no, I say no. And then they proceed to outline the plot for you so that they can make some point that they had in mind when they brought up the movie. It's like, 
this is a lot of build-up for probably not. This wasn't worth it. If I if I had seen the movie, this would make sense. This is going a little bit too uh, too far with it. I started watching Eyes Wide Shut again. I remember I saw that. I think I saw that opening week in. It was in Tucson, Arizona at the time when that came out. And I was a fan of Stanley Kubrick because I'd seen like A Clockwork Orange. I had friends that were into A Clockwork Orange. And so I was trying to be hip to their tastes. And I was like, yeah, Stanley Kubrick. And so I went to see Eyes Wide Shut, you know, expecting it. I had no idea what to expect. I was like, this is just a Stanley Kubrick film. And it has Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Let's check it out. Not, of course, at all what I was expecting. If you, if you, if you've seen it, I had a friend in, um, I had a friend in high school who, he, he described it as he waited three hours for the plot to start and then it ended. And it's, it, I guess it's kind of like that. It's kind of like Coen Brothers. You're like, like burn after reading it ends and you're like, that was maybe entertaining, but what the hell was it? Like, why did I just watch that? <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, but I was kind of like curious about what exactly is in Eyes Wide Shut. Like there's, I guess if you don't want any part of it spoiled, then stop listening right now. But essentially when Tom Cruise goes to the mansion and the orgy is going on, I was very curious, like what, is this actually a ritual? You know, is this, is this a real thing? Like how much of this is true to some stuff that actually goes on? in orgies, either now or in the past. Stanley Kubrick had tremendous attention to detail as a filmmaker. There's an expression I've heard like, uh, perfectionist takes great pains and then gives them to others. From what I've heard about working on a Stanley Kubrick film, that sounds like that applies to him. But I was like, he, he had this attention to detail, so he couldn't have just like, arbitrarily come up with this this ritual where there's like a bunch of naked women in a circle who disrobe and there's some sort of perfume being burned and uh you know scenting the air i was like what is all of this this has to be something this can't just be a pure fiction and the whole idea of like people meeting in a in a mansion and having like orgies with a bunch of random women and they're all wearing masks like yeah where did this idea come from? What was the source for this? It was the first time, like, I, I saw it when I was 17. I was like, this is, I've never encountered anything like this. You know, it's, um, of course, I'm 39 now, 22 years later. I can't exactly say that I've encountered anything like that since. Even <laughs> as an adult, the movie's just weird. The whole, the whole premise of this, um, I don't know, uh, orgy going on in a mansion full of people wearing masks. And apparently the people are influential, you know, it's like a secret society of rich people. Now there's a whole bunch of like conspiracy theories about this. I was just kind of curious, like what, what basis does this like orgy ritual that's in the movie have in the occult? To what extent does it draw on real inspiration from real sources? And if so, what 
what are those sources? You know, what, what, does it, is it supposed to add anything to the meaning of the movie, to the hidden meaning of the movie? Um, I don't dig too much for this, but I remember a friend telling me that Eyes Wide Shut, if you look at the color of the lighting that's used from scene to scene, the different colors of the lights or the dominant lighting in any given scene has a particular meaning and it's supposed to tie those scenes together. I never looked into that, but this is the kind of thing you hear about, like Eyes Wide Shut. And so I was like, there must be something to these to these orgy rituals. Um, where did they come from and what are they supposed to mean? And so I found out there's a whole bunch of uh, conspiracy theories about this. There's a whole lot of people that speculate about Stanley Kubrick was trying to, like, reveal something. Like, he was, I guess, in a privileged position because of his wealth or status as a filmmaker. And so he was aware that, like, stuff was going on with the Illuminati, having these sorts of, like, secret meetings where people get together and have a bunch of crazy anonymous sex, you know, while they're... um, masked in these large mansions and that's uh, you know stanley kubrick happened to die like six days after the final cut of the film like after it was done being edited it was ready for release stanley kubrick died like less than a week later people say like yeah he was knocked off because this film like revealed too much but some secrets and there's like uh, talk about warner brothers um editing out some incriminating and revealing stuff you know, about uh, elite societies in the United States. They, they, once Stanley Kubrick was out of the picture, so to speak, they, um, they edited the film down so it wouldn't give away too much. I, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't dig too deep into this because, quite frankly, I don't give a shit. But it's, it's funny that there's actually conspiracies about this. The thing is, things like this have to exist, Right. Like, 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 I'm not saying that like orgies or anything like that, but think of uh, probably orgies. The thing is, like, I understand like the disparity of wealth and what that creates. You know, um, that's probably one of the points of the film. Actually, is you have this like upper middle class doctor living in New York City, and this one night that he goes out and manages to smuggle himself into this like secret orgy party um, just to check it out. Um, he spends a lot of money doing that. Like you just think like he, he offers to pay people a lot of money just for like, just going out and then spending an evening out. Like I think this is not accidental. I don't think anything in Kubrick is accidental, but I think that's kind of the point is that you have, so I'm like middle-class. I have no idea where I land, but there, there are certain things that I could do. Like if there was some sort of like, event happening not like an orgy but like uh i can't think of a good example you want to go do a wine tasting you know at some really nice uh winery with with nice wine now i could probably afford to do that if i wanted to drop like a few hundred bucks or whatever it is on the ticket if i wanted to i could go do that you know i have the means of doing that now that's that's not accessible uh to people who are like below the poverty line or people who are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, there's, you know, the, the winery has like, a, they, they want to run a business. They know that there's a demand for this. And so they, they say, we'll host an event and whoever can afford to do it will show up. 
So I mean, the one thing I do accept, what must be true is that there must be events like this for the fabulously wealthy. There must be somebody who recognizes there's a demand for, let, let's throw an event, like a, it's an art gala that costs like $10,000 uh, to enter and you get a dinner with that or something. You know, this is, you end up with like situations like this where based on the financial barrier to entry, it filters down who's in the crowd. Of course, these things happen. This is this is this is like capitalism. This is what happens in this kind of. So it doesn't strike me as being altogether implausible that uh, there might be like something like this. Like, let's just get a bunch of women together, like high end prostitutes, put them in a mansion, have everybody show up in a mask so that there's, you know, no um, fear of reprisal if you're cheating on your spouse, for example. Let's just do this in a mansion and, and invite a few people. I said, not, no, let's not put flyers on cars all over New York City, but let's, you know, get the word out there through word of mouth. You know, people who run in rich circles will tell each other, sure. I don't know that that happens. But I could see it happening. I don't really see the point in speculating about it happening. Like, if I don't know if the Illuminati exists. I think the Illuminati exists. I think there's probably a whole lot of, I would guess, there's probably a whole lot of misinformation out there about them. Like, I'm sure that the Illuminati as a society exists. They have some purpose or had some historical purpose and they're just around now as some vestigial thing. And I think people just speculate about it. It's like, what's in Area 51? Like, we don't know. It's just this empty canvas under which you can project all kinds of, of shit. You just imagine, you know, what the Illuminati are doing. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of accounts that are like at odds with each other, like they're not reconcilable. They're just like, oh, there's a secret society comprised of the powerful and the wealthy and the elite. What, what, what might they be doing? You know, it's like when you're talking to a conspiracy theorist who's talking about the Illuminati, like what they imagine the Illuminati to be doing, how they describe them. That probably says more about the conspiracy theorist than the Illuminati itself. So you're really giving yourself away here. What you're imagining, but I don't know. Maybe the Illuminati don't exist. This is the kind of thing I stay. I don't know. I stay away from because it doesn't really. I don't see the relevance. You know. I've been reading about uh, astrology. Um. The last week or so. And in particular, I would, uh, if you're really interested in astrology, probably the best um, resource, singular resource I would recommend is a book by a guy named Richard Tarnas called Cosmos and Psyche. And that kind of gives a grand synthesis of, at the very least, the Jungian position. Um, you know, I, I saw Richard Tarnas speak actually the first month of COVID there was, um, I think he was at UC Berkeley giving a lecture and people were supposed to go there, but it ended up being virtual because of coronavirus. Um, somebody turned me on to that. So I, I attended, I listened, I didn't know enough about astrology or Richard Tarnas himself to follow any of what it was being said. I, I couldn't. I couldn't fall. Like it was, I was too new to the subject matter. It was not, I was not the intended audience.
but he opens it up by saying, you know, like, okay, astrology is, it is not that the, the stars or the planets are somehow exerting a magical influence on what's happening on earth. It's not, that's, that, that can't be what it is. And there's actually a very, very simple reason for that. Like the thing is you will meet astrologers who say, yeah, the, the planets are actually influencing what's happening on earth. Um, that can't be the case. At least not the way we understand it in the Western world. I, I don't know much about Chinese astrology, but if you know your horoscopes, for example, then you know that March 21st, which is the spring equinox, or what's also called the vernal point, you know that that, that is the start of the month of Aries. So the zodiac is this 360 degree uh, circle of constellations. And zodiac actually comes from the Greek word zodiakos, which means circle of animals. It's like a rather painfully specific word. But that's what zodiac means. And wherever throughout the year, the sun is positioned with one of those constellations. And so in the course of a year, it goes through uh, 12 of them. So if you're, I'm a Gemini, for example, supposedly, um, then that means the sun was positioned in Gemini, like aligned with the Gemini constellation in the sky when I was born, right? So this is cyclical. And if you're familiar with horoscopes, then you know that on, on the spring equinox, March 20th or 21st, depending on who you ask, is the start of when the sun enters the month of Aries. Uh, except that it doesn't. That's the thing, is that this, that was true three or four thousand years ago when astrology as we have it in the Western world was established in Babylon. But somebody noticed about 2000 years ago that that's, that there's actually a shift. They were like, you know, around March 21st, uh, we're not going to be entering a month of Aries anymore. Like we're entering uh, the one before it, which is Pisces. Uh, and this is because of an astronomical phenomenon that we've, established later scientifically called the precession of the equinoxes it means that there is a shift roughly every roughly every 2000 years 2100 years uh, roughly thereabouts uh the vernal point the spring equinox shifts so 3 or 4000 years ago the march 21st on our calendar not the calendar at the time um the Gregorian calendar is what we use. Yeah. Um, would have entered Aries. But starting around uh, 2,000 years ago, it became uh, Pisces. And it's it's continued to shift, and we're about 2,000 years out now from the last shift. So 
it's like there's that old song that I forget who it's by. They talk about the dawning of the age of Aquarius. This is what this means, is that there is, <laughs> there is, there's a similar shift happening roughly now. You talk to different astrologers, you'll get disagreement as to, as to whether or not it's happened already or when it is going to happen. There's a really consensus on this. It's somewhat a nebulous boundary between the two constellations in the sky. But, you know, astronomy was established in the age of Pisces and that is, or sorry, in the age of Aries. Three or 4,000 years ago, the spring equinox meant the start of the, um, uh, start of the um, month of Aries. 2,000 years ago, this shifts to be, um, you know, the, the sun enters Pisces. And right now we're getting to a point where the sun at the spring equinox really is entering the constellation of, of Aquarius, not Pisces. And so these are, these are like astrological epochs or ions, if you will. And so the thing is, horoscopes haven't been updated to reflect this. So whatever it is you think you are traditionally, you probably are not that. My birthday is March 21st, so depending on who you ask, I'm either a Taurus or a Gemini. At the very least, I'm, I'm a cusper between both of those. Um, except that I'm not, because the sun, that's, that's astrologically true. If you take like Hellenistic astrology from 2,000, 3,000 years ago, yes, I am a Gemini slash Taurus. Um, but if you look at where the sun is, like if you if you look at it astronomically, I'm something quite different. I remember looking it up like I'm actually a, a Taurus. If you consider where the sun was, because it's shifting back. And so the, it can't be that the the planets or the you know heavenly bodies are somehow influencing what's happening on earth it is very much a construct of something happening on earth that's uh, somehow being aligned mythologically with the stars this was like the, this was uh, carl jung's theory of astrology was to say that he thought it was a roughly speaking a some sort of activity or something going on in the deep unconscious, roughly speaking, uh, projected onto the sky. Um, if you consider that our constellations are named after Greek and Roman mythological figures or gods, um, and if you imagine that mythology is conjured up by human beings in, in the unconscious, then of course it makes sense. We put that onto the stars. We sort of, early human beings, not understanding what the sky was, just as a sort of stable thing that showed up every night that was clearly moving in a very cyclical fashion, uh, you know, projected their own fantasies into the sky. And so if you read old astrological writings, you're really reading um, 
these old ideas that people put down. Um, uh, Jung described it as being like what we have from astrology is essentially all the collective knowledge of psychology from antiquity. And of course, back then there wasn't this idea of the, the, um, the idea of psychology as a scientific empirical discipline. Science hadn't really been invented yet the way we understand it. And so this was an attempt to capture um, not, a, not, not something that's causative, but it's something that's correlative. So where your stars, where, where the, where the, how the heavens are arranged when you were born might have some bearing on what kind of person you become. Not because the stars are influencing you, but because there is some, some correlation. Like human beings are aware of the sky. And as long as we have been aware of the sky and as long as astrology has been a thing, then eh, yeah, I'm starting to lose my train of thought. I can only do this for so long. Um, anyway, you get the idea. But so I've been reading about um, reading about astrology this week, and it's um, it's interesting stuff. I uh, I don't know. I find it fascinating. It's like it's kind of like we have Myers Briggs type indicators. It's, it's a, what, what was the Chinese zodiac or the Hellenistic zodiac, like astrology as we know it? What is that but a precursor to our our sixteen personality types that come from the Myers Briggs system? It's an attempt to like capture uh, distinct personality types. Um, but of course, I wonder if this is the case then astrology must lose its value uh, in recent times. Like I, I feel like it must, because if human beings start to dismiss astrology as being superstitious hokum, if you're not paying attention to the sky, if, let's say, more and more people are living in large urban areas so you can't actually see the stars, then people are going to be less attuned to the cycles of the stars. And so psychology of the individual, to the extent that it's correlated with the sky, will drift. Right? It seems to me this is the case, but if you go back and read one of the oldest writings on astrology we have in the Western world is Ptolemy's... Ptolemy's? I don't know how much you're supposed to accentuate the P there. But uh, one of the Ptolemies wrote a, a book called Tetra Biblos, the four books, which is about astrology. And at the very beginning of it, he says, you know, um, a lot of people don't believe in astrology. They, they, they think it's just superstitious nonsense. They think that people who uh, dabble in it are just nuts. And this is from like 2,000 years ago. I think this is like second century Alexandria. So it sounds to me like the way he describes it, the way he sort of says like, yeah, there are caveats. Astrology can't tell us everything, but it can tell us enough that it's worthwhile. And people who dismiss it just haven't studied it. Like the way he writes about it, it's like that, that could be exactly what someone says about astrology now. So if that's the case, then how can it be correlative? If, if people are not taking it seriously... If people are not observing the stars and trying to like line up events in their own lives, 
What are we talking about here? Nope. Got to charge my headphones. I'll be right back. There actually is a niche field in astrology called uh, financial astrology. Uh, the idea that you can use astrology to predict what's going to happen in, let's say, the markets. So how it's going to affect the economy or how it will affect the stock market or the bond market or this or that. Like if human events are correlated on a grand scale, what's going on in the heavens? Can it be used for financial gain? I'm very curious about this for a couple of reasons. One, anybody who's working on Wall Street, a hedge fund manager, for example, they're not paying any attention to astrology. They would probably have the same reaction that almost everyone does um, when they hear about it, which is to say, well, that's obviously nonsense. I'm not going to consider it. And the thing is, that's probably the case. I can't imagine there's anything to it. There is no Warren Buffett, you know, the world famous value investor um, in financial astrology. There isn't somebody who's made it who says, yeah, you know, I owe my fortune to the stars. I'd imagine there's something to correlating maybe astronomy and probably meteorology. Like you can probably use information about that. If you can predict the weather, you can probably predict impacts on certain things that would affect stock prices on earth but astrology i i don't know i wonder about it it's one of those things i'll look into someday uh keep an open mind but you know also keep a healthy level of skepticism I'm trying to figure out what to do Today, you know, like coming on here and like podcasting just doesn't feel like an accomplishment anymore. It used to. Like I used to like wake up early on in the pandemic and I was like not working at the time. I was maybe like doing some job hunting sporadically. But, you know, I would record like a three or four hour podcast and publish it. And I'd be like, yeah, I feel good now. I just put out some information out there that uh, maybe other people will find interesting or helpful or entertaining or stimulating. I don't know. That's why I do this. I kind of hope to like just verbally meander into something interesting. Like occasionally, I don't really plan this out. So I think it's a lot of rambling with maybe once an hour on the average, I'll like on the spot synthesize an interesting or novel point that I didn't have in my head already. You know, I, like that's part of the reason I do this is is just for that talking things through like this. And I'm not going to talk about podcasting. One of those podcasts about podcasting. You know, I I've been like paying attention to uh, dating apps. Like for so I I I'm on Medium which is a site for writers. And, you know, they send me like a, a daily digest, like here are some articles you might be interested in. And like the state of dating and dating apps, uh, at least in the United States, is something that always lands at the top of my uh, recommended articles. 
I don't know why. Probably because I clicked on like two or three of them early on and it just became, um, like he must be interested in this. This is what's getting his attention. Let's keep doing this. I've tried to like game the algorithm, like scroll down and I find the things that are about my profession or about anything else. And I try clicking on all of those. I'm like, let's just try and feed the algorithm other input that I actually want to read. It hasn't really made a difference. Don't quite know why. By the way, has anybody else been on Quora lately? This is a this is an aside, but I went on Quora for the first time in a very long time. Uh, I, th- I think about a month ago. Actually, like two months ago and a month ago, I went on there a couple times, staggered over a long period of time, and like the the home feed was just a whole bunch of thirst traps. It was just a bunch of like scantily clad women. It's like a story about this actress on the set of this film in Hollywood, like, you know, um, Margot Robbie filming uh, the pantyless scene in The Wolf of Wall Street. You know, there's all these suggestive photos, um, scantily clad women. I was like, that, that was the entire feed. Like, I didn't scroll down that far, but I just like, I was like these are all like sex things. I could be on like a, a, a softcore porn site right now. This this is this is nothing to do with anything that I'm subscribed to. There's no chemistry, physics. There's nothing. It's just like a bunch of like. I was like, is this what it's devolved into? The algorithm just. What has the algorithm learned about me? I've never gone on Core to read any kind of that stuff. Like, what what is it? Is it just desperate? It knows that I've abandoned it, so it's like we got, you know what we do to try and bring back in. The single male who's about 40 years old, we just started showing them a bunch of lewd photos of like scantily clad, attractive women. Is it just no? Is that what it's thinking? Anyway, it didn't work on me. I, um, but I'm very, very curious. Like I kind of want to go on Twitter and ask about this. Has anybody else experienced this? But I also don't want to put that out there because that people are just going to assume that I'm using Quora to look up lewd shit and the algorithm has just learned that's what I want and it's giving me exactly what I asked for. No. No, it's not. But that's what everybody would think. So I really can't, I can't solicit uh, an answer to the question. Anyway, yeah, so Medium sends me articles about dating. It seems to think that I'm interested in that and I guess I kind of am. But I'm always... I don't know. I'm always skeptical of what I read. It's a lot of, um, okay. So it always sends me like women complaining about how dating sucks in their late thirties and what it is that's wrong with men. And the last one I read that like kind of got me thinking about this, which is sort of like musing, all right, well, what's going on here is that there was a, a woman was saying that her and her friends Dating in their mid to late thirties had a lot of them had just given up. Like the fatigue of going on to the onto the apps and going on dates with guys, none of whom really had any prospects, like they're not employed, and they don't really bring much to the table. It's like, okay, well, you know, the pool we're drawing from is actually pretty shallow. So women are just giving up. They're saying, No, the hell with it. I I, I think I would be just as happy or happier being alone. Like it would be, it just would be less stress or hassle than wading through a bunch of 
people on the dating apps trying to find like a guy that I get along with. And of course, my first question is, is this actually new? Is this like a new phenomenon? Like, haven't there always been spinsters? Haven't there always been women who are just like, you know, guys suck, fuck it, you know? Especially as you get older. Like, yes, it is definitely true when you get to be about my age. Uh, the pool of people you have to draw from is uh, very, very small. And the people that remain tend to come with baggage, you know? Look at me. I just spent like uh, five or ten minutes or 15 minutes talking about fucking astrology, you know? Makes me sound like a like a wacko. You know, <laughs> I would, if you go on a date with a guy, you're sitting across the, the you know the table from me, starts talking about astrology. You're like, I've got to get the fuck out of here. Unless you're like living in in Boulder, where I currently live, there's plenty of new agey stuff going on here. Unless you live in Sedona, Arizona. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I want to like be clear about the point that I'm making here right up front, because I've definitely complained about the dating apps a lot in the past. And that's more like, that's more just the general, like, doesn't, doesn't uh, dating in your mid to late thirties suck? Yeah, it sucks. But I'm just trying to be relatable. I'm just trying to say like, yeah, it sucks for all of us. If you're out there and you're confronting this, you're not alone. Um, I am not pissing and moaning because I think there's like a better system that you know, should exist. This is what I don't quite, I don't quite understand the sentiment that dating apps suck and there should be some better system in place. Like, okay, this was never my world. This is like predates me and my dating. But I mean, even like, like what, 20 years ago in 2000, I remember they're like match.com was a new thing and it was kind of a stigma. Like, really, you're going online to find somebody to date? You can't hack it in real life? It was not something people, like, bragged about or did casually or, or, or announced, you know. It was, it was like, there was something wrong with you. You were socially inept if you were on there. And, and my, how the tables have turned. I think most people are aware of, if you're dating, you're aware of uh, Aziz Ansari's book, um... Uh, what is it? Modern romance? True romance? True romance is the old Quentin Tarantino flick. But uh, I think it's modern romance. But he talks about how it's well known. This is where I learned about it. But you, you read that like dating apps are pretty much the way people meet now. But I mean, you go back before that. You go back before 2000. Go back to like 1980. What exactly were people doing to try and date if you weren't like using your social circles, if you weren't like, if your parents weren't setting you up with somebody, uh, like I, I think you used to put like a, a, an ad in the paper. So like, here's a basic description of myself. Here's what I'm into. You know, here's my phone number. And people would just, you people just call each other. Right. Or there, I guess there was like a system where people used to like record themselves like some company would like make a vhs tape of you sitting there on camera saying hey here's me here's who i am here's what i'm looking for if that's you i'd like to meet you and people would just like get a bunch of vhs tapes like they would i guess they'd get a stack of them 
come home and put them in the VCR and they would watch. Um, like, really? Like, this is... You go back then and people are doing this kind of shit. If this is the trouble you have to go to to just meet people, um, you tell them, hey, look, 40 years in the future, everyone's walking around with a computer in their pocket and you can just find, uh, you know, people using that. You connect with them, you arrange a meeting. I guarantee you 100% of them are going to be like, that is a fucking brilliant technological advancement that is that is great. I would take that over what I'm doing here any fucking day of the week. Thing is, I think dating just sucks. And I think that people lambast the dating apps because they're not perfect. Because dating is imperfect. It's not a reflection of the apps. Like, the apps are probably the most efficient system we have. It's just that dating past a certain age sucks complete balls. That's just the way it is. You're not going to devise a system that makes that shittiness of it go away. You know? I guess you can, you can try and create an app where, like, only rich guys are allowed on there, or only women of some certain attractiveness. You can kind of, like, filter, but you, it's not like there's some, like, brilliant alternative that's going to make the difficulties of dating suddenly vanish. Right? It just kind of sucks. I think eventually... Eventually, people get to an age where they realize, you know, dating is probably not worth the trouble. I read a quote on Twitter once. It was like a woman who was joking, and she was like saying, you know, dating in your mid-30s is kind of like looking for parking at Trader Joe's. Like sooner or later, after so much time, you realize you just don't need cashews, and you bail, and you go home. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's um, not a great situation. I uh, would concede that. Okay, I'm also not one of these people who... I've complained about the dating apps, but I'm also not saying that the dating apps are not showing my better side. You know, I feel like this is the sentiment you hear from people a lot. It's like, well, if... The thing is, I'm a really great guy, is what you hear people say. But I don't get to show myself off on the dating apps. Like, I don't get, I don't get the proper in... You know, if I, you know, if I could reveal who I truly was through like an optimal medium, then of course any woman would be lucky to have me. You know, I'm not saying that about myself. I'm very confused when people, people say that, you know, I, I, I know that, that I, I am not perfect. There was a date I went on shortly before COVID hit in San Francisco um, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, 90 minutes in the girl made up some self evidently bullshit excuse and like ran off. And I was like, really? It, it's, it's that bad. Like I realized maybe 10 or 15 minutes into this, that you and I were not compatible romantically or anything. I kind of knew that before I even showed up, you know, but I was curious I enjoyed our conversation. I was like, really? Was the conversation with me so bad that you had to, like, make something up and bail? You couldn't just politely excuse... Like, what exactly does that say about... She could have just said, like, look, I'm not interested. Gotta go. Why not that? Why the subterfuge? Anyway, I don't know. But it... that it, Just all this to say, I know I'm not fucking perfect. I know I have, I have things wrong with me. 
nothing major, I don't think. But I'm not trying to like say like, well, I'm I'm perfect and it's the dating app's fault that I can't uh, find. But this is the problem when as soon as you like start saying, you know, there's this problem in my life, and it's the whole rest of the world that's the problem and not not me. Uh, that's a very very dangerous road to go down. This is kind of like the um, what are it, the incels? That's uh, involuntary celibates or men doing their own thing. Is that what it is? Like uh, men going their own way. Yeah. A uh, bunch of guys on the internet who've clustered together in forums, which I've never found or gone looking for. I, I'm only aware of this by secondhand reports. Um They've they've reached the same conclusion that the that the women have. The, the men are just like you know what the women are gold diggers. They're they're just out for something. You know they, they don't really believe in love. So you know what? we're just going to give up on dating. We're not going to do it anymore. It's not worth the trouble. And it, it's kind of based on this misogynistic notion that uh, you know all women are selfish and they're out for themselves and they're, they're gold diggers and so on and so forth. Um, I know that's happening and it's very, very clearly happening, uh, somewhat systemically if you're still single, um, you know, at a later age, a certain proportion of guys like fall into this category. And it's just, the thing is we've all been rejected, right? We've all been there. You go after a woman, she says, no, thank you. And it kind of sucks. It kind of hurts. Like I was interested in you and she said no. That always hurts. But the point is you deal with the, the pain of rejection and then you move on. It's like there's a whole bunch of people out there who've like codified this animosity, this rejection to their personality. And they've said, you know what? It isn't me. Not bringing it up to the table on dates, it is like the entire rest of the world. It's all women in the world who won't give me an adequate chance. Only they weren't so blind, you know. Then they could they could see like like I I gotta say. So I remember being in high school, and I was in band in high school and I really didn't get along with most of the people in band. I don't know why I was in band for all four years. I think it helped me get into a college, a decent college at some point. Like it was an extracurricular that sort of overshadowed my not perfect grades. Um, But I don't know why I was in band because I certainly didn't get along with, like I didn't have a click of people. I was just a guy who was in band. And, you know, I kind of was raised on the same 80s and 90s movies that everyone else was. And it's like kind of kind of like there's OK, there's different groups of people. There are jocks. There are like there are freaks. There are some geeks. There are band nerds. There are theater people and so on and so forth. Like you you group categorize people in this way and you kind of have like a sense of the stereotype. And I remember like. I think it was like late junior, early senior year. I actually had a class with a bunch of, with a bunch of like football players at my high school football team. And they were, they were like remarkably intelligent, interesting people. 
they were way more interesting and, and way less uh, spiteful or hateful or prejudiced or clicky than the people in band. I was like, I actually enjoy talking to you. Like, I, I feel like I don't actually have enough substance to bring to the table to talk with you guys. You know, it's not all. Some of them, I'm sure, were somewhat vapid. You know, the stereotype holds somewhere, but like well, the ones I talked to in this class were really, really intelligent. And I was like, yeah, so the stereotype doesn't really hold. You know, it's like I don't. I guess this is an old cultural trope, but there's always the idea that like people who are not that popular in high school who do things like band. Like there's this idea that like there's there, there's jocks and they always have like some some deep underlying insecurity or there's something really, really wrong with them. And, it, you know, it catches up to them later in life. No. That happens to some of them. It's not a universal. You know, at some point you just have to accept, like, look, I'm not, like, the smartest person or I'm not the most attractive person. There's, like, guys out there who are athletic, good-looking, fairly intelligent, and they end up with jobs. And it's like, yeah, these guys are going to get laid and they're going to get better women than you get. It's like you really can't start spinning all this fantasy about how that isn't true. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's like the simplest. Yeah, there, there are more eligible males than you out there. Right? There must be. You know, I don't concoct some fantasy in your head where like you're, you're, you're rearranging the world so that somehow you're on top, but the world just fails to recognize it. Like, Jesus, yes, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like I, for some reason we still keep seeing the same high school movies. I've noticed this shift in writing. We're getting back to the whole subjective movies but it, it feels like the good movies movies that are well written that i enjoy nowadays seem to be aware of the tropes like the narrative tropes and cliches that we grew up um like experiencing things that we just take for granted now like it seems like good writing these days is aware of those and it tends to turn it on its head or at the very least, it, it tips its hat, hat to it and says, yeah, we're aware of this, but we're not quite going that way because it doesn't quite stack up with reality. You know, it's a fiction. I'm trying to think of a good example of this. I'm not sure I can. I saw, I started watching a movie called Duff on Netflix, which is, uh, it's the old thing about there's some girl who is not very attractive. At least she doesn't, she doesn't dress or act in a becoming way. And she like enlists the help of a jock to like give her some perspective and clean her up. And it's like this whole idea of there's a woman who wears glasses and she doesn't do her hair properly. And, you know, she's uh, not a very good dresser. And it's like you just give her a makeover, put on some makeup. She throws out the glasses, does her hair and starts dressing better. And all of a sudden she's a 10. I haven't finished it, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if this movie's headed that way. But how many times have we seen that fucking movie? We got, got to stop making this <laughs> this movie.
yeah, I don't know, man. I guess it's like it's like the Breakfast Club, you know, the whole idea that oh yeah, we're all in detention, we're all from different like social circles, but it turns out we have more in common than we would have thought. Going into this, I haven't actually seen the Breakfast Club, uh, but I kind of I feel like I have seen it. It's one of those films. It's just it's a it's a staple. Um, neighbors going at it again. Honestly, it's just, it's distracting because I just, I wonder. Like, so I hear him go from his bedroom out to the kitchen, back to the living room, back to the kitchen, back to the living room, back to the kitchen. On a regular cadence. It's like, I, I, I really don't know what it is you're doing. What could you be doing that would require this amount of back and forth? Which isn't just walking for the sake of walking. I live below, uh, I live below like a, one of those fucking drinking birds, just up and down, up and down. <laughs> ah, Jesus. So my mom sent me a, a goodie box for the, uh, for Christmas. This is something that my, my, my maternal grandmother used to do she used to like send me and my brother like she would go around and find stuff like little bits at thrift stores or um you know really cheap candy at big lots she was all about deals you know depression era lady she's like she finds a deal she can't pass it up so i mean she would send like candy that was probably very very cheap but it was often not edible like you had gummies that were like rock hard it's like okay i'm gonna add this to my my, my, put this among my geodes and other minerals um and not eat it Uh, so you would get things that's like quasi no completely inedible i remember one time like we got something and my brother like took a bite. It was like something sweet, like candy. I can't remember what it was, but he ended up like running into the bathroom and puking like right after he took a bite of it. It was just so bad. It's like, okay, grandma's, um, (laughs) grandma's, uh, um, maybe leaning on the details or sorry, the deals Ah, a little bit too hard. Um, but yeah, I always, I always like that. I like that idea. Um, I think my mom's trying to carry on the tradition and she, uh, she sends better quality stuff. Although it's, um, although it's always like sugar, you know, like, uh, I, I do like, um, like, you know, those licorice, all sorts things. Like the thing is, I really don't do a whole lot of sugar. Like at some point, someone made me realize that sugar is like responsible for like a whole bunch of my like psychological problems. Like it would just, it would just like, I'd have a crash and I'd feel really terrible. And I'd be like, what is this? I must just be like an unhappy person. No, it's because I was, I was like on the sugar cycle and sugar was like in everything. And I was eating it and I had no idea, you know, what, um, like this is the, at some point I realized like, I love peanut butter, but then I realized that most of the peanut butter you get in grocery stores, like it's got a bunch of sugar in it, as does everything else. And so I just started like I started looking for the peanut butter that uh, only has like peanuts in it, like just just peanuts, maybe a little bit of salt, 
Uh, it's the kind that like separates that you have to like stir. That's always what I get, but no sugar. This is what I did for the holidays actually. Like this Christmas, I was like shopping a few days before Christmas and I was, um, I was at the store and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get like the really good peanut butter that I almost never get. I just buy like the cheap whole food stuff, the big, uh, jars of it that are just peanuts. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's good, but there's like a, the brand that I really like is Santa Cruz. It's like my favorite peanut butter. I, I love that stuff. So I was like, you know, for the holidays, I'm going to get that and put that into my oatmeal. I only eat like maybe five things. That's, that's, I guess how I should start this by saying like, if you, if you watch me eat at home, I eat like oatmeal with peanut butter, smoked salmon, uh, steamed frozen vegetables, um, doing like breakfast burritos recently just to try and be like a little bit more fancy, but I don't, uh, it's not that exotic. I don't branch out in terms of what I'm eating. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to treat myself, give myself the really good top shelf peanut butter. I'm going to put that in my oatmeal for the next few days. That'll be how I treat myself for Christmas. This is how boring of an eater that I am. Um, yeah. Woe to the person who ends up, uh, dating me if anyone uh, you know in their future because i'm like i'm one boring fucking eater but <laughs> but you know the thing is like you you if you pull yourself off of sugar and that this is going to sound like sanctimonious or, or something but it really is you, you have trouble like like looking at, at that stuff as even edible like so I, like i saw like a piece of cake the other day or like a cupcake or, you know, my mom sent me a bag of all sorts for Christmas. I open up and look at these and I'm like, this doesn't look like food to me. Like my gut is not telling me you should put this into your mouth. My gut is telling me you put this into your mouth and it's going to cause all kinds of problems. Like you're going to feel like a, a quick spike and then a sudden crash. And it's just your teeth are going to feel like they're covered in some sort of like, I just can't handle sugar. I, the thing is, I, I think I would like to be able to handle sugar. Like I'd like to be able to handle lots of things. It would actually be convenient to like be able to go out. If I go out to a bar or if I'm hanging out with people and I just have like one drink, like I'm going to allow myself one small glass of wine or one beer, like that will ruin the next day or two. Like that'll completely screw up my entire schedule. Like I can come home and pound water. At my age, I just can't metabolize it. And it's like, I, I would like to be able to do that because just for social reasons, you know, I don't need to drink to socialize, but it would be nice to like, if you're hanging out somewhere that's in a bar, just say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get one drink. I'm going to try like one new kind of beer just for the experience of it, for the taste of it. You know, I don't have to get loaded. Just, you know, have like a, uh, have one, you know, just kind of like sit there and like sip it and scrutinize it the way uh, a vintner would. Or sommelier. You know, it's like I can't even I can't even do that. I don't understand. I see people on. I mean, I see people in real life. They're like older than me, and they're like pounding drinks. You see this in like uh, TV shows all the time. I watched a movie with. It's uh, <laughs> gonna say, uh, Frazier. What the hell is his name? Kelsey Grammer, and Kristen Bell. And it's like he's he's like his long or her long lost father. Like he shows up, and 
you know, reconnects with his daughter that he left behind uh, 25 or 30 years ago. And as part of the bonding, you know, he's like, let's just get drunk. And you see them like doing shot after shot after shot. If you count the drinks, it's like, I think both of you like had like 15 drinks each. Kelsey Grammer's like, what is he, like 70? Like, is there anybody out there who's 70 that actually could drink like that? They wouldn't just fall down dead, like on the third shot of, you know, whiskey or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I can't, uh, I can't handle sugar much as I would like to. Um, I don't know. I guess it's probably better for my pancreas. Uh, that I don't, but I mean, you, you just, I start looking at, like, I have a bunch of candy that was, my mom sent me in a goodie package and I, I, I just kind of stuffed it in the back of a cupboard. I was like, there's nothing appetizing about this. This looks like, um, I don't know. looks like a clown's face. <laughs> it's just some clown makeup fell onto some, you know, uh, some pastries and then like, I guess you're supposed to eat this and enjoy it. Like, I can't even, like, register it as food. I have, like, a, uh, I have a nephew now who's, like, approaching the age of two. And I, I've always, I always loved, that was, like, one of the most exciting things that happened when I was younger is we would get a box in the mail. And it was just, like, a, a goodie package from my grandmother. Just out of nowhere. It wasn't, like, a holiday or anything. She just thought of us and dropped a bunch of treats and little toys and whatever else into, you know, in, put it in a box, packaged it up, and mailed it off to us. It was, like, one of my favorite rituals as a kid. I haven't really thought about this in years, but I loved, I loved doing that. And... I kind of want to do this for my, for my nephew. Yeah, nephew. I'm his uncle. I want, I want to do this for him, but I mean, his, his mother, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, however you say that properly, brother's wife, she's somewhat, um, uh, I don't want to say high maintenance, like type A personality. She's very, very careful about what comes into the house. Like if I'm going to get my brother or her a gift, it's like I kind of have to like run it by them. I can't just surprise them with something, you know, because she'll be like, well, this is just clutter. We have to put this someplace now. And, you know, even if it goes into storage in the basement, she doesn't want the storage in the basement to be too crazy full. And so I feel like if I start sending goodie packages full of toys, Little, little trinkets. If I do that a few years from now, she's going to start saying, stop sending trash to our house, man. And I don't know what, what the responsibility is here. Like, as an uncle, am I just supposed to ignore her and say, hey, I'm an uncle? You know, it's like you're a grandparent. You spoil the kids and you just you just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. That's your role. As a, as a non-nuclear family member, you're supposed to spoil the children and give them little little treats and things and, you know. Yeah, I don't know where the boundary is there, but uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's probably still a few years off because he's still if you're two years old. He doesn't really. I'm told that he likes uh, he likes watching cars. 
you know, he's, he's aware when cars are driving by on the street outside and he's really interested. If there's, there's things that he, he notices. Um, but you don't really, I, I don't think at the age of two, you really have interests, you know, but there's not like things you would start collecting. I don't know what, what age that actually begins. Um, or what he'll be into, you know, I guess for me, it was dinosaurs, anything dinosaur related. You give it to me at the age of five and I would have been, I don't know, super excited. I remember there was, when I was in fifth grade, we created a time capsule. It was kind of like we were supposed to like bring something from home that was meaningful to you and put it into a box and it was going to be stowed somewhere. And we were, I guess we were all supposed to come back and like open it up uh, later. Maybe we weren't supposed to open it up. Anyway, we did that. That whole project happened. Like we wrote a note to our future self. And this is like back in like, uh, what, 1992? I completely forgot about this. We did this, but none of us are ever going to go back there. It's not like we've all stayed in touch. Like we all like gave the teacher my head, but my teacher's retired. I remember like uh, she, she lent me some, I think it was scientific American magazines. Cause she knew I was interested in physics. I was in fifth grade and I wanted to be a physicist. Um, I think because I was reading Michael Crichton and not because I was actually, you know, smart but, but she was like you're interested in science you know my husband is a scientist he does something here's some magazines and i took them from her and she was like just make sure i get them back into the school year like passed and i was like i i forgot to give them back to her and i found them like 10 years later i was like i was of drinking age at that point um and I found them and I was like, I should probably get these back to her. So I figured out where she lived and I went and dropped them off at her, at her house. Um, when I was passing by and I didn't see her, but I saw her husband, but you know, she, she had retired from teaching, I think at that point. So it's like, we're, I don't know what, where this time capsule is or what happened to it. It's probably just got burned as trash with something. I, I don't know. I don't know why, I don't know why we did that. It wasn't like there was a plan to come back to it. Um, I did that, uh, my senior year of, of high school. Like when we graduated, I like, I just took what was available to me. Like I had some school newspapers, um, like, like a few of them. And as far as a container goes, I just had like a, uh, the only thing that was available to me was like a, uh, you know, one of those like 12 packs of cans, like with one of those boxes. I just like took that and, um, stuffed the newspapers in there and like buried it in the sand in a park somewhere. And I was like, well, we'll come back in 20 years and we'll find this, uh, we'll find this later. Um, There's nothing waterproof about that. So, of course, I'm sure it's been dug up and thrown out like a long time ago. The park's been redone. Where am I going with this? Time capsules? Yeah, but I mean, I like this whole idea. Like, there's always like Indiana Jones. Those stories always start 
with the assumption that there was somebody in the past who like buried something like a set of clues and left it for the future. Like nobody really does that, do they? Like everybody wants to find like a, a treasure hunt or they want to find like a series of clues or a puzzle they can solve, a scavenger hunt or something, but like nobody's like really creating them. Right. It's kind of like, like we were talking about earlier, being somewhat voyeuristic about your neighbors as a kind of COVID uh, pastime. It's like, yeah, everybody's doing this. Everybody's like, they're bored. Like TV only gets you so far. People don't read books anymore, I don't think. And it's like, okay, let's, uh, <laughs> let's just like check out and see what the neighbors are doing, you know? So, I mean, if, you, if you're not like doing something, if you're not putting clues out there, that you're into some shady shit for your neighbors to pick up on. If you're not like, you know, making it look like you're up to some shady stuff. So your neighbors can wonder like you're being a bad neighbor. You got to put some breadcrumbs out there make it, make it look like you're into something bad or, you know, you look like you killed your wife or something, you know, sneak it out there, you know, bait them into watching and, and, and speculating. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of like, I, I don't know what I would actually do if I was going to like bury a time capsule. I feel like the entire internet is like a time capsule now. The way back machine. Yeah, so it's been, it's been coming up on two hours and in case you can't hear it, probably can't. Still going back and forth. I re dude, get yourself into rehab, man. <laughs> uh, what, what, um, what, was I, what was I talking about? Right. Okay. So I watched a, a Netflix series um, called Dash and Lily. I think it was only one season. I'm not sure there's going to be a second season. I'm only halfway through it. But it's essentially about like a, a, a girl who's like, I have trouble meeting people like I'm just sort of a, a bookworm I like to read and I really can't meet people who also enjoy those sorts of endeavors so she leaves this red notebook in a bookstore like sandwiched between Franny and Zoe and nine stories um, for somebody to find and leaves a trail of clues it says you know if you follow these clues it'll prove to me that one you're illiterate not an idiot and uh, we may have you know enough in common i'd want to get to know you you know so i'm at the end of this particular rainbow and i was like see that's 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 exactly this is this is the solution i think to the whole dating app problem like yes there's there are definitely weirdos and scumbags out there and past a certain point any mass medium is going to eventually incorporate those people and then the whole prospect of using that for finding dates it's going to suck. I kind of wish I had been on Tinder like when it first came out. Like the first few months. That must have been amazing. You know, before all the whatever scammers and, and perverts found it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like make your own channel. Like I, I don't know exactly know what I would do, but uh, it would be nice to like put some clues out there, like a puzzle for people to solve. You know, I want to just make it. 
And I, not even like I want to lead people to me for dates, but I just want to like put that out there for somewhere in the future. They find a clue and they feel like they have to follow it. And there's a whole trail of clues that leads to something. But of course, you have to worry about the clues like actually persisting. You know, like eventually someone's going to come along and if you, you know, if you bury a box that's a time capsule in a park somewhere, you know, somebody might come and say, well, we're going to build uh, something on top of this. And, you know, your, your whole thing gets buried under, you know, five feet of concrete. There goes that whole plan. Um, it can really only last so long. Like, I, I do remember somebody asking on a forum somewhere, like, what is it about Indiana Jones, like, in these booby traps? Like, is this is this realistic? And somebody said, not really. I mean, take a car that runs perfectly. Like, let's say it's new and fresh off the line. and Go ahead and bury it for 30 years. Now, you dig it up. It's not going to run. Because this is what happens. You know, anything that's, like, complex and mechanical, uh, it, 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 unless it's maintained, it's not going to keep working. And so the idea that there's a bunch of, like, archaeological finds that are guarded by booby traps, like you step on this thing in the floor and, like, suddenly an arrow shoots out and kills, like, any would-be trespassers, um, that ain't going to work for, like, a few hundred years. You're not going to come back to that. And uh, <laughs> um, have that working. Anyway, I do like that. Uh, I do like the series. Like it's kind of it seems like a somewhat flimsy premise uh, for uh, like an eight episode series. So far, I'm enjoying it. A little far fetched, but um, hey, this is this this is COVID, man. This is, these are COVID times. We're not looking for perfection in our entertainment. We're looking for adequate is enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, there's a lot of good movies out there. I'm really, really impressed with like just just how much there is, like how how much talent there is. There's a whole lot of like not so talented. It's like you kind of like chance, like okay, the IMDb average rating on this is like a is like a three and a half. But maybe it's a hidden gem. Let's just try watching it because the premise sounds interesting. And there's some person in there I've maybe heard of once. Like five minutes into that, you're like, this is awful. I see exactly why. You can crowdsource the recommendations from uh, from the Amazon reviews. <laughs> I do wonder about um, the Netflix. Like, you know, they have their compatibility rating. It's like based on your tastes, we think it's like 97%. Or sixty-eight percent. These don't seem to be very well, very well calibrated, at least not for me. And I kind of wonder exactly what, what data is going into these. Like, how are they generating these for me? Like, well, what are the inputs? What is the algorithm? I'm a nerd, and I'm an engineer uh, who understands like basic machine learning. So of course I'm wondering what what goes into this. How is this being generated? How is it changing over time? Um, gotta say, like, I, I used to, like, really hate, like, I go on Pandora, and I would say, here's my favorite artist, my favorite album, maybe my favorite song, 
And I'd say, okay, I'll give you that, and I want you to tell me other things that I might also like. And it never, it, it never were worked out. It was always like some terrible stuff. I was like, you clearly have no idea what my taste in music is. I've been like using the Amazon Music app uh, recently, and I, I found that like if I listen to, I've been like making playlists with songs on them, and if I if I come back. And say like, okay, here's here's your recommendations. Here's 50 songs we think you'll like based on your recents. Um, they're actually pretty good. I feel like if you feed one of these algorithms, and I don't know if it's the algorithms have gotten better. I just never gave Pandora enough data. But if you if you do this, um, at least for me, I've met with a lot of success. Uh, so things are getting better. I'm not sure about the movies though. Like, it doesn't seem like. So here, um, speaking of the era of personalization, um, I've had this happen recently with a uh, with a navigation app. Like the, the thing is, like there's a there's a bookstore down in Denver that I like to go to on occasion, and I went to it one day, found a bunch of things, and I was like, I'm not going to buy them, but. I know my willpower succumbed the next day. I was like, I want to go back, drive down there and uh, get a couple things that I didn't get yesterday and uh, hit a couple thrift stores, you know, do, do the stuff that I do in Denver. And the first day I went down, like it was just like you go down the highway, you get off at one exit, go down south a few miles and boom, you're at the bookstore. The next day I put in the same location and like I passed the exit that I got off at the day before. And I kind of looked at the thing and it was like, it was taking me in this spiral that was kind of like, it was like getting off one highway, getting onto another, then transferring highways again, and then getting off at some exit that would lead me like, put me like a few miles from the bookstore, like, um, off that last highway and I was very very confused I was like what the hell is this huge like circle you have me going in around the ultimate target location what was wrong with just the I get off at the one place and drive a few miles and boom I'm there you're like sending me on a, on a chase around different highways and I, I guess it's because like the overall time was less have you had this happen before I've also had it happen like where you 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 get a choice like you can choose between different routes and I'll, I'll tell like I, I have an iPhone so I use Apple Maps and I'll say like okay I, I want to choose this route because it looks like the simplest one I don't care if there's construction on this one particular road if it slows down a bit this is simple you know it's fewer instructions for me to listen to I don't mind spending a little bit of time in the car because I can listen to some music you know um, from aforementioned app that has been giving me some pretty good music recommendations, you know, stuff like that. And like, as soon as you like venture out on the road, you choose one of the routes simplest, you know, you get a message like the Apple Maps chick, whatever it is. Is it Siri? I don't know if it's Siri or some other personality. I don't know who the persona is in terms of AI, but she says like, you can save time by taking this alternate route and just updates the route for you without asking you. And so you can kind of have some sense of like, here's what I expect because I chose the route and I kind of know it. I just need the details. And you're like, 
this is taking me somewhere I had no idea. Like it's taking me off into the country, you know, I'm going on a bunch of side roads. Like, what the hell is this? I did not choose this. And it's like, it's just switched it automatically because it saves you time. Like, don't do that. At least ask me. But don't just magically, like, I can't change this. I can't fix this while I'm driving. You know, I have to, like, pull over. It's it's a, it's a really a hazard. It's what bothers me about it. It's because you try and, like, cross-correct this whole thing or course-correct. Like, like I, I need to, like, fix this while you're driving. It's it's a real problem. Um, but, no, what I wonder in terms of personalization as far as navigation goes is when I was cruising around the country after leaving Michigan and heading back out roughly west um, earlier this past summer, uh, there were a few times where I would hit a very busy stretch of highway and the navigation would tell me to get off the highway and spend a bunch of time on side roads and then re-merge with the highway like uh, maybe 10 miles later. And I, I don't know if, I, if this actually saved any time. Like it wasn't like the traffic was completely stopped, but I was like, I was like, how many people are using these apps for navigation at the same time that I'm using them? And how many of them are getting routed off of the highway to alternate side routes? Are all of them being routed? Like if you happen to be using a navigation app, is it is it taking into account the flow of traffic on the highway and saying it looks kind of crowded? Let's let's route whoever we can off of the highway to clear up some of the space. And is it really whoever we can? Is it everyone who's using the app or is it just like certain people? And I realized that the whole era of personalization and navigation, like that's there's probably like a certain kind of person that this, this must happen. If it's not already happening, it will start to happen, but they'll like, they'll steer certain kinds of people with certain profiles that they determine algorithmically off of the highway for side routes and not do it for other people. And it's like, well, what are the factors that go into that? How do they determine you're of the temperament that you would want like to get off the highway for a bit? Personally, I'd rather stay on the highway, you know? My preference would be don't steer me off of the highway. Like, if it tells me to get off, then I say, okay, I, there, there must be some reason. Like maybe I have to go through a town and then I get on some other highway. No, it's just taking me like a, a more complicated route to avoid highway traffic. But like really mentally, it would be easier for me if I just like stayed on the highway. Yes, it might be slower, but I don't want to do that. Why is it deciding that I'm like one of the people that needs to be rerouted? And this is what I wonder, like how, how are they going to make this determination? And it might not even be something that's, uh, might not even be a determination that's made, uh, consciously. That is the weird thing about artificial intelligence now is that where where you have a mathematical model that makes a prediction uh, from a machine learning perspective, there are some things that are simple 
Like if you if you do what's called linear regression, which is basically like finding the line of best fit in a scatter plot of points, and you use that to predict, given x, you know what would y be. Um, that's very very intuitive. You're, you're minimizing the distance between one line and a whole bunch of different points. You know, in you know collectively. Intuitively, I don't think there's anybody who understands basic algebra that doesn't get that concept. What's currently operating now, what a lot of artificial intelligence predictive algorithms are based on, are like deep neural networks, which, which are essentially just like you, you take the input and convert it into numbers. If you imagine a black and white photograph, you could imagine zeros and ones. You know, just uh, basically take an image of an image of something, and you make it ones and zeros, and you feed it into uh, like a polynomial. You know, two x plus three y plus four z, and so on. You just have many, many x, y's, and z's, and you essentially have many, many layers of these very, very complicated polynomials. That's what a neural network is. It's just doing a bunch of mathematical transformations. Sometimes it's polynomials, sometimes it's uh, like a logistic function. I don't wanna get too technical here, but the thing is, is that there's so much complexity to them, there isn't the ability for there to be intuition. It's not like finding the line of best fit. You can do that in Excel and it makes sense what you're doing. You know, even if you don't understand math, it's clear what's happening. With like deep neural networks, predictions are being made, but it's not possible to know how. It's not possible to develop an intuition. You're dealing with too many dimensions that you're essentially leaving it to the computer and the math involved to kind of internally you have to just sort of trust that it's giving you the right answer. Like human intuition doesn't stack up to the complexity of what AI is doing. And I'm not one of those people who, I think there's a lot of talk now about artificial intelligence being like the end of the human race or whatever. Like I don't, I have my doubts about that. I don't uh, really see that happening, but I don't follow it that closely either. You know, somebody like Elon Musk says, AI is going to destroy us. Um, Elon's a whole lot smarter than me, so there might be something to it. But Elon's a whole lot smarter than me, as is everyone else tracking this sort of thing. So maybe I shouldn't be the one who's, uh, you know, being an evangelist about the evils of AI. So I don't really follow it. You know, I focus my energy where I know I'm competent. And this wouldn't necessarily be it. So, I mean, my point being is that I'm not even sure if you have personalized navigation recommendations from something like Apple Maps or Google Maps, like probably the engineers involved in creating those systems, they don't even know. Like somehow they learn that certain routes are better for certain kinds of people. I don't know how they would learn that, but... Somehow there's a feedback system where they learn what works and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, based on that, they, they send more people onto alternate routes.
so there's probably there's a lack of visibility here and there's probably a lack of for me there's a lack of like um the ability to override it like, like if i if i could choose i would say just give me the simplest route don't give me the quickest route you know unless i ask for the quickest route like let me let me specify it's the kind of magic you know that comes out of these things that uh I find somewhat perturbing. Um, yeah, we know you better than you know yourself. <laughs> Don't think so. All right, maybe getting to about the point here where I should uh, cut this off and get out of the house. I haven't really been out of the house yet today. This is, um, I try and like get out and go someplace. Uh, at least once a day. I'm kind of running out of, like, options, which isn't a bad thing. Honestly, like, it was COVID. This whole shelter-in-place thing in San Francisco was a problem because in order to get to anywhere green, where there was open space, I had to, like, walk. I had to, like, walk, like, through, like, a bunch of homeless encampments, like, under the um, under a highway somewhere, or I'd go across, like, Market Street which is just, you know, homeless people. Anyway, it's all homeless people in San Francisco. <laughs> so they, well, to, yeah, every, any route I could take, I have to walk through some, some shady, you know, dense population, uh, group of people just to get to a park, you know? Um, <clears throat> then of course I, I, I spent the, you know, the winter in, uh, uh, the first winter in Detroit, you know, where my parents lived. And there's like nothing going on there. Like it's all green. It's like completely the other direction. So, I, you know, I got like a nice balance here and that there's like, there, there's like green stuff. Like there's a park right across the street from me. You know, population's not too crazy. It's a, it's a nice balance. There's plenty to go do, but you can, you can keep your distance from people. You can keep the six feet, uh, away from people pretty easily. Um, and still, you know, I feel like you got room to stretch your legs. So it works out well. <laughs> but I am kind of running out of uh, things to do. I'm honestly kind of disappointed. I, I came to Boulder uh, because I was thinking maybe, you know, I don't go back to California. California is pretty pricey. I'm not going to be able to buy a house there. Probably ever. Uh, it's going to be like decades before I can afford to buy a house there unless I inherit some money or something. Um. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping like, okay, I'm, I'm in Boulder. That's like half an hour outside of Denver. Got the Rocky mountains right here. There's a whole bunch of like little cities kind of like about the size of Boulder peppered all throughout, uh, you know, this general area. I was like, this has got to be, uh, it's got to be like plenty of, um, room here. You know, there, there's plenty for me to shoot at, you know, like if I aim for, the general area, I'll, I'll land on a target somewhere. Uh, one, like housing is not like cheap here. Um, surprisingly enough, like, I think time was like, if you wanted to live in Boulder, it was expensive, but you could go out, out elsewhere, like in Superior or some other, like Longmont. You could go to one of the neighboring cities and you could find something affordable. It ain't really the case anymore, you know? I mean, it's affordable, but it's probably more money than I'd want to sink into a house at this particular point in my, in my life. 
And, uh, you know, Denver itself, I'm sure I could find something affordable in Denver, but I don't, uh, I don't know. I gotta be honest. I've been disappointed by Denver. Denver's a nice city. Nothing wrong with it, but it's just, uh, it doesn't, um, I don't know. It doesn't, uh, what is it exactly? It might be that it's too much like, it's too much like Detroit. It just feels like Detroit with some mountains nearby. You know, and I don't mean in terms of the decay. I mean like the suburban part of Detroit, you know, like where the, where the houses are and kind of the downtown. The downtown is, I guess I could live in the downtown area, but the, the, the greater Denver area is just like a greater metropolitan area. You just drive around. There's like strip malls, like a couple every mile. There's some churches. There's a bunch of like residential houses. Um, you know, the neighborhoods vary. The thing is, if I'm going to live in Denver, I might as well live in Detroit because I know people in Detroit. I have like family there. You know, family was asking me like, why, why are you leaving? You know, when I packed up in June and said I'm hitting the road, you know, they were kind of like, well, have you considered staying in Detroit? I'm like, yeah, I've thought about it. No way. There's not, there's not enough here. There's not, there's not enough that's interesting. You know, I've, I've been here, lived here for a while. I did it. I get the idea. You know, there's nothing's going to surprise me in Detroit, you know. And it's like, I got family there, sure. But I mean, the thing is, I can't really be myself around family. That's what I really can't tell them. It's like, when I'm hanging out with you guys, I have to be something other than what I am so as not to annoy you. It's very, very obvious when I'm I'm bugging the shit out of you and I just have to like dial it back. Like, like that can't be my whole life. That can't be everything I'm doing. You know, it's, it's I got to, you can't ask the bird not to fly to borrow a line from uh, Tracy Jordan, 30 Rock, you know, like I, I, I can only like, put on a facade for so long. But it's kind of like if I'm going to like live somewhere like Denver, I might as well live in Detroit because they're roughly the same vibe that I get. And, uh, you know, at least I would know some people in Detroit. I would have like a couple friends and my family would be there. Um, really looking for something novel, you know, but not, uh, not pricey. It's a shame that like my kind of novelty is uh is now kind of expensive, you know. Um it's gotten like ridiculously expensive. Um I remember that wasn't the case. Like when I first got out of college, it was like fashionable and advisable. It was trendy to like you you go and you you go buy a house, you know. I guess it was easier and cheaper back then, but that, that was what you did. You bought a house somewhere. And if you had to move, you just sold the house and moved on. You know, I felt like it was easier at some point. But the whole idea of I want to go live, you know, in a city, in some major urban area. No, people were not doing that. Like some people were, but it wasn't like the trend. Like since, I don't know, the last 20 years, it's completely tipped. So people want to live. They want to have that city lifestyle the way I always wanted. They don't want to live in the suburbs unless they're raising a family, you know. So the demand is, uh, well, you know how it goes. I think I've talked about the housing market before. Like, who knows if it comes back down or when it comes back down or how much it comes back down. But now is definitely not the time to buy a house. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, don't know where I end up. Still trying to figure that out. 
default says I might end up back in San Francisco, but I'm not even sure about that now. Like the one thing I've learned in the last six months is I do not have the knees of like a 25 year old. I'm like, I'm like almost 40. My knees are not, uh, my jogging days are probably over, you know, which is kind of a bummer because I do like calisthenics videos on YouTube. And there's a whole bunch of exercises I love doing. I love doing that kind of cardio. And it, it's like, if you say, if you Google, like, I want to do calisthenics without, like, with low impact on the knees, I got bad knees, I want to do some, like, cardio. What's available to you is, um, one thing I've found so far is, uh, okay, so when, when I was growing up, there was, like, a, um, there was, like, a, an exercise video that my brother used to, like, watching when he was, uh, I don't know, five or something. And it was, like, a guy who, I guess he was in Hawaii. He would film on location in Hawaii. You would see, like, a mountain or palm trees behind him. And he was just, like, he was on a mat. And everybody's, like, in spandex, whatever the 80s, you know, thing was, whatever was trendy. And they're just, like, stepping up and down on steps. Or they're, like, stepping back and forth, you know. It's just this, this ludicrous, like, okay, this is what you would, you would exercise too if you're like 80 years old, you know? My brother liked it just cause, you know, it's, you latch onto things when you're a kid, you know? And that's, uh, that's what I've found. I find YouTube videos. It's like low impact on the knees cardio. I find stuff that looks exactly like that. Like the, the way that video used to be. I don't remember what the guy's name was, but. I find stuff where people are like stepping up and down gently. It's like, this is, I just went from like exercising like a 35 year old to like, I can, it looks like I can only exercise like I'm 60 or 70. Is there no in between? Is there nothing I can do that like will get my heart rate up, but you know, still be like easy on the knees. Like I'm not that old. I don't know. But anyway, you know, San Francisco, if I go back to San Francisco, part of the draw is I can walk everywhere and it'll force me to walk all over the place because I love doing that. I love just walking. I love walking through that city because you will stumble upon things just walking around aimlessly. Uh, I'm not sure I have the knees for that anymore. I'm not sure I have the knees for those crazy steep hills that they got. Um, might be time for me to hang up my hat so to speak. It's like the age where, uh, um, I don't know if I had a family in a house somewhere and I was just like a dad lazing around on a couch, like watching TV from a lazy boy or something like that whole thing. Like this, I probably am getting to the point where fitness wise, that's about what I'm up to. And that's about it. You know, I don't really want that lifestyle. Uh, I don't think I would choose that. But that might be uh it might be all I'm capable of at this point for um something. I have no idea where I end up after this. Um Yeah, go the other direction. I've talked about that. Just go somewhere rural. I wanna just have like a little house. Yeah, you know, I just wanna build a tiny house on a on a lot of land that has a somewhat scenic view and is like close to some other human beings. And, you know, a place where I can, like, chop my own firewood. And I gotta, I gotta do that to keep it warm, you know. Uh, that's what I wanna do. Like, I, I feel like that's what human beings are supposed to do. The fact that I have, like, a, a you know, a, 
of weight bench. I know I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. It's been long enough. I don't remember what I talked about and what I didn't. But like my living room in Boulder, Colorado, is just like a fitness center. I just have a weight bench that I watch TV from. Some weights. Got a couple mats. You know, a jump rope, that sort of thing. And uh, you know, it's it's like I'm doing this. And everything else that I, you know, a, a person would have to have historically provided for themselves is just kind of shipped to me. I'm just sitting here at a laptop, like writing computer code and like saying, okay, well, I got to balance this out with some, some weightlifting. And, you know, I just have like, uh, energy, like power and water and everything just, it's sort of like is fed to me by utility companies, you know, uh, it's like I, I wouldn't have the first idea how to like provide all of this for myself if I were suddenly, if I'd live off the grid, you know, what do you, what do you do then? Um, anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling at this point. I promise to wrap it up. It's getting on to three hours here. It's going to be a, be one of the longer ones I've done in a while. Um, yeah, so I will I will wrap it up. Bid you all farewell. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Uh, it seems like Omicron or the next uh, Greek letter of the alphabet, uh, the variant that comes along, is gonna probably keep us somewhat um, cut off at the knees in terms of what we can do, so to speak. Uh, so I'm sure uh, I'm sure we, we will speak again. Uh, until then, uh, this has been real. Let's do this again sometime. Uh, take care of yourself. Stay healthy out there. And get vaccinated and wear a mask. Or don't. See if I give a shit. Uh, take care. Till next time, this is Jim signing off. You be well. Cheers. <laughs>